Welcome, everyone, to episode 20 of the Toy Tube Podcast. He's RK. And he's Willie. And today and we are, like you said, on our 20th, 20th episode. 20 episodes. Wow, that's like one episode per listener. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this episode, we're going to be talking about a really cool uh, toy that RK made that he had when he was a kid, the Turbo Beam car. We're going to talk about Merlin, the electronic game from Parker Brothers. We're going to discuss the Justice League movie a little bit, and also a series on Netflix called Toys That Made Us. So with that all said, how was your Christmas, RK? Well... One just needs to go to YouTube and see how emotional I was on Christmas. <laughs> My Christmas was actually kind of great. It was yeah, uh, a rocket Christmas, a lot of cool stuff. Well, you know, we didn't have a tree the past two years because we were always in transit. Yes. And so this was the first. We did have Christmas last year, but we didn't have time to decorate or set up or anything. I mean, I made dinner. So this year we had kind of like the Christmases we always used to have. And we had made this garden, um, like above-ground garden, that uh, we grew all kinds of vegetables. We even tried pumpkins. That didn't work out. But we had these tomato plants that were like about six feet tall. We have about five or six of them. We got hundreds of tomatoes. And I posted a picture of those tomatoes that we picked all summer. I, I, I took a picture, like I think in July, of a bowl and some of the latest tomatoes. And I kept saying, okay, these are going into Christmas dinner. Because for years, years and years, even before my son was born, 
I would make lasagna for Christmas oh, dinner. Yeah. And you know, you go to the store and you get the can, a big can of crushed tomatoes and a can of puree and a can, of, you know, and the paste and all this stuff. And you put it all together and you spice it the way you want. So this year we crushed the tomatoes in a ninja and then we pureed more tomatoes in a ninja and we froze them in like July, August. And then I took them out, defrosted them, and I made sauce from tomatoes that we grew. And then I spiced it the way I always spice it. And I, let it I let it cook for a couple of days. And I cooked the sausages in there for a couple of days um, in, a separate, in a separate pot to get all the bad oil out, but get the flavor of the sauce into the sausages. And then I combine everything. Then I build the sausage. I mean, I'm sorry, I build lasagna Christmas Eve. And I'm getting hungry just thinking about it because I'm having leftover lasagna for supper tonight. And... <laughs> We have to hurry up and get through this so I can go eat. But <laughs> that was like, that was a big deal. And then we had the tree up, which you can see in the video on YouTube. And we had the place decorated. And we had a little bit of white on the ground, mostly ice from the past few days. And then Christmas Eve, it snowed. And we got up to like fresh powdered snow on the trees because it's like oh, five yeah. degrees out there now. But it was, it was perfect. And I got up before everybody else and I... Um, you know, I, I think I took video of the, you know, the tree and everything, and then cut to the video of opening the gifts and receiving your your great gift. And I think everything hit me from like thinking I was doing the right thing a couple of years ago, moving to where I moved to, and then realized I made a mistake and moved back um, to the northeast where I belong, and finally, you know, settled in the past year. And I'm able to do things I haven't been able to do. And then I had a, a medical issue, which turned out to be nothing. But, you know, the doctors did a good job of scaring me for a good three months. Turned out to be nothing. So I really thought, oh, great. Now once I get settled and I get everything together, I'm dying. <laughs> I'm exaggerating, but I actually feel like that, you know. So I think I think that this was a very emotional Christmas. And we we were all together. And we were all happy, and we all, there's not one gift going back. Nothing's being returned. Everything was perfect. Uh, the dinner was perfect. Um, I'm just waiting for, like, the other shoe to drop. But everything was great. And, um, and you know, you're getting me to do videos now on YouTube that you, put, you post under Arcade USA. So this is kind of new to me. And, um, you know, <laughs> here I am with a, you know, like, recording video Christmas morning before anybody's up and then like recording opening a gift and then suddenly you know by the afternoon I had sent it to you and I'm telling everybody hey our Christmas morning is up on YouTube if anybody wants to <laughs> so suddenly everything got a little less personal you know because everything was up there but the funny thing is is that you know I'm starting to do these this, this model corner um, videos for uh, the toy tomb. And I've only done a couple so far, but what, three or something? I don't know. And I don't like myself on camera. I just don't, you know, and I thought I'll, I'll do these videos like not putting my face on camera. So naturally, the first time that I have to put myself on camera is when I got, you know, bedhead. I just rolled out of bed. I looked like, <laughs> I looked like, you know, something that somebody pulled out of a dumpster after the raccoons picked it over. And that was my first <laughs> time that my face is on, 
on video on YouTube, do it. And I'm like, oh, this is, you know what? Once people start hearing, I'm, you know, every time I post a new video, no one's going to go see it. Looking at the, <laughs> the Crypt Keeper doing these uh, videos, you know, like, oh, cool. oh, look at that. Doc Brown's doing another video. So, <laughs> um, I promise next time I will be all, <laughs> I won't just roll out of bed. I'll actually <laughs> brush my hair next time and maybe even get a haircut and, yeah. uh, <laughs> and clean myself up. But that's, you know, that's what I did. And, uh, hey, might as well, if you're going to, if you're going to jump in, you might as well jump in with everything. Oh yeah. Now, uh, everybody see me at my worst. You can, you know, I'll try and clean myself up so you can see me at my best. So that's, that was like probably the biggest thing about, uh, um, Christmas this year. And, uh, yeah, it was pretty good. And, and if you watch the video out there, um, you know, Willie and I have talked about Galaxian. It was one of my favorite games. I was actually going to get that Galaxian, you know, on the side of the cabinet, the Galaxian bug flying around. It's a big, mechanical, creaky-looking insect that's flying in the graphic on the arcade cabinet. Yeah. It's all, like, screws and bolts and hinges and everything. Yeah. I can remember I actually, like, when that game first came out, I said, you know, when I get older, I'm going to get that tattooed. I'm going to get tattooed that thing. You know? And it's very cool, but on the side of an arcade cabinet, it wouldn't be very... I'm glad I never had <laughs> But I have to say that that um, Coleco tabletop... Now i got three, because I've got the Zaxxon one, and I've got the Pac-Man one. Yep. They did a great job. I've always wanted it, mostly out of curiosity, and you found it for me, which I will never, ever um, you know, forget that you, that you did that for me. But what a surprise. But, you know, I'm not on vacation this week. I'm working this week. And every once in a while, I stop. And it's sitting there. And I go over and I sit down and I play a few rounds. <laughs> it's actually pretty good. It is. It's great. Because, you know, I can play it. I have a million other things I can play it on. I can play the 2600 version. I can play the 5200 version. I can play the arcade version. But that little thing is awesome. That little Coleco tabletop Galaxian multicolored, you know, uh, characters on there. I, I don't think you call them sprites because they're basically just cutouts with lights. Well, now you can see why I like, now you can understand why I like VFD games so much. It's oh like eye yeah. candy. And, and, and why I was really upset they never came out with a Berserk one, like they said oh, they were. yeah. Um, and if there's any shred of Coleco out there and you guys want to make a, a another VFD uh, tabletop video game. Well, I doubt very much that would happen because it's really old technology. It's uh, uh, it's not very cost. It's cost prohibitive to do. Look, uh, I'm sitting in an empty room talking to a microphone. I can say and wish for whatever I know. Well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I mean, they are working on some new Coleco tabletops. They got The first one's going to be Robotech. I don't even know what that is. It's it's a anime cartoon of robots and stuff like that, and so really so yeah I I thought that's what that was so they think that's what a good that's a good start that's a good idea to start with that after well you gotta think you know like the majority of people out there uh, the younger generation is going to identify with Robotech a lot more there's not a whole lot of us older guys left the younger generation isn't going to play with a BFD game. No, no, they're not. They're gonna they're gonna pull out their phone, and, and if they can't play it on their phone, they're not gonna play it. We, it's it's us older guys at these these companies that, that want to do this retro style stuff. They're their only hope. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So, and I know I, I understand that these video games have been done to death. I mean, every time 
a company comes out, whether it's Bridge Direct or or whatever, all these little tiny, you know, I get it that these things just keep coming out and stuff, but yep. we keep buying them. <laughs> I know. And and Berserk, look, I mean, there was no really, I think you and I talked about this, there it really wasn't licensed for anything other than Atari. I, yep. You know, I mean, nobody came out with anything, but I, Frenzy was the closest. I mean, Coleco came out with Frenzy um, for the ColecoVision. But I haven't seen Berserk in, in anything besides a 2600 or a 5200 cartridge. That was available back then, yeah. So, you know, it's like, I, I know that a lot of people were pretty excited about when they announced that they were going to do Berserk, and they didn't back then. And I just think they should pick up where they left off, because I don't think people who are interested in Robotech are going to want to play a uh, Coleco tabletop version of it, and the people who want to play tabletop ColecoVision versions of these things aren't going to want to play Robotech. <laughs> yep. So, good luck, Coleco. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't it be cool, though, to see a VFD of Berserk? Yeah, it would be. It'd be kind I mean, of neat to how, see. I don't know how they could actually pull that. I guess they could pull that off. But Well, know. you know, I think if uh, a company like Tomy could pull off a Tron game in VFD, yeah, we right. have three different levels that are different in gameplay, like Light Cycles, the... the uh, uh, Oh, I forgot what that was called in the movie where you toss the ball back and forth to make the rings the disappear. The and then battling the MCP with your identity disc. That is pretty cool. If they could do that, then they could surely make a berserk. Oh, you're talking about like the highlight ball thing that they did in Tron. Yes, <laughs> yes. We yeah. bounce off the ceiling. And, yes, yeah. yes. Can't remember what they um, called it in there, though. Yeah, you know, and concessions have to be made. There were concessions on all these games. Um you know, the Galaxian one, yeah, there weren't as many columns of, um, you know, enemies or of aliens, but, you know, it was, they make up for it because um, not only do you get to play Galaxian, which was sort of like the next step in the evolution from Space Invaders, Space Invaders is in that Galaxian Coleco tabletop with, with the Galaxian creatures, but it's, it's Space Invaders. It's called Galaxian Invaders or Valley Invaders. That's what it's called, Valley Invaders. Midway, I'm sorry. Midway Invaders. So you flip the switch, and it's basically Space Invaders. Flip it back, and it's Galaxian. Yes. So they make up for some of the concessions they have to make in these games back then. They they couldn't have as many enemies. They couldn't have as many columns and rows and stuff. But who cares? It was, it was the game. It worked. That's right. So, I don't know. That's just my... I'll get off my Berserk soapbox now. <laughs> and again, it's not like I can't play Berserk here like seven different ways, but I just think those those Coleco tabletops were very cool. And the, oh, fact yeah. that, the fact that they did tease us with a Berserk as far as even showing it in a pamphlet and everything, a brochure 35 years ago, and it never came out. So some semblance of the company reemerges, and they, they announced they're going to make these things. And, oh, yeah, we're doing... Robotech. <laughs> awesome. Robotech. <laughs> awesome. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, well. Anyways. So, besides that and um, and doing the aforementioned videos, now I'm making videos and uh, I've got a couple more coming. 
how many? I don't know. How, I don't know how many I have up there now. I know I have the uh, light beam car, and I've got the flying saucer and the creature, and then the reviews of the um, consumer buyer's guide for computers and the Coleco Vision yep. magazine. Yep, I have those, and um, I was going through some of them on YouTube, and if any of the people who leave comments are listening to this podcast, I just want to thank all you guys for your comments your comments have been really great and uh, i really appreciate it so i just kind of wanted to to mention that I, you know um because i don't know what i'm doing i make these videos <laughs> i don't know i don't even use a script i'm just Have like, fun. and sometimes i'll shoot the whole thing and then i'll look at it and i just you know i spent an hour recording and i look at it and i delete it and then I do it. I you're out of here over. yeah yeah i start all over again but um I'll just mention that the next video I'm doing, and I'm looking at the box over there. I pulled it off the shelf. Back around 92, 93, I bought um, the model of Alien. And the, the Alien creature? Yep. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. It was um, put out by a company, I believe, called Halcyon. And it was put out like a 91. And it's a very detailed... Um, sculpt it's a very detailed model and basically it's a very large base and the alien is standing there next to an egg that's about to open up and um i i bought this <clears throat> you know i bought this when my kid was really young and i'm talking to him the other day i was talking to him on christmas and i said gee i i gotta make another video i'll be making one in a week or two on um uh you know for the toy tomb to put up on youtube and I said, I don't know. I said, there's a, there's a custom Batmobile I want to do. There's these skeleton warriors I want to do. And he says, when the hell are you going to do that alien? <laughs> I said, he goes, it's been sitting on the shelf. You've had it on the shelf since I was like in first grade, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, you know, he's been out of college for several years now. You know? And he says, could you please make that one? And then um, I'm going to take, I'll take it and put it in my apartment. And I'm like, well, okay. So I will be making the alien. It won't be staying in my house. I was looking forward to it, but <laughs> I should have made it years ago so that he could, you know, take it as an adult, but I'm going to make it and it's not going to be around here for long. And then it's going to go to his place. So uh, that'll be the next one, the alien. And I, I kind of have to figure out different brush techniques techniques because you know, the alien is like, I, it's kind of black, it's kind of grayish, it's kind of silvery, it's kind of, it's got weird colors. And um, so I gotta, uh, I'm gonna have to really figure out how to paint this one. Yeah, see, see, see if you can like model the, uh, the saliva dripping out of its mouth. Oh, dried glue. You yeah, like, yeah, right? that'd be awesome. So I'll probably, yeah, I'll probably do that. And I think, didn't they have silver teeth? Weren't those teeth that came out, weren't they like... I thought they were silver. Yeah, they were silver, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure they were silver or something like that. And then the big head is like a big membrane. It's almost yeah. transparent, kind of. So i got to figure that out. And did you know the alien had eyes? It did? Well, it must. I thought it would be bumping into things, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, I had to. I don't remember seeing where they were, though. But Well... On some toys, the top of the head was like almost transparent, and the eyes were behind the protective shell. Oh, and, okay. And then I think there was even a Ben Cooper. Wasn't there a, like a kind of a 
Halloween costume for this, and it had eyes in the same place. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> I've always wondered where the eyes were. I, I've heard that that's where they are, but I'm not. I've never really seen them. But it must have eyes. Well, it's gotta. It's gotta have eyes. It's gotta have eyes. You know, unless it's an eyeball. Look at the image. If anybody knows if the alien has eyes, please, you know, um, send us mail or something. Send us email because I, I, I'm dying to find out. That yeah, thing we need is, an alien aficionado to chime in. There's got to be, you know, I'm sure there's a few, I hope, you know? Yeah. Anyway, what have you been up to? Well. Besides Christmas. Besides Christmas? Yeah, besides, what have you been up to? Well, I've been making a lot of videos lately. I just finished up editing the toy, not toy tomb, editing the 5200 uh, Unity podcast. Is that still on? That's no. still on, yeah, that's still around. <laughs> <laughs> no, I uh, you know I got some neat things for Christmas as well. You know I got that cool Superman book from you. Yeah, uh, yeah, and that really neat drawing you made me. Really, really like that. And uh, my buddy John Gamestringer One sent me a really neat. Uh, it's called a Sinister Story comic book. It's a hardbound book, and what it is is they've taken screenshots of the original Star Wars movie and they put cartoon bubbles of the guy speaking oh yeah so it's like a comic book and yeah. it's pretty awesome <clears throat> there's actually a name for that yeah sin a story comic no 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 no. <laughs> no 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 there's a there's an actual name in graphics uh for that which i will think of eventually but um fumetti something like that i don't know but it uh yeah mad used to do ec mad, mad used mad used to do that yeah, and, I remember. And, yeah, there's a lot of. Uh, I remember. Remember the movie Easy Rider with Peter Fonda? Yes. I had the paperback of the movie in that form. Oh wow! They came out with the movie, and you could read it like a comic book, but it's all photos from the movie. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, I was like a kid, and I was like, "Oh, this is cool!" And I could see the movie. Yeah. <clears throat> Anyways, I'm sorry. Go ahead. That, that's pretty cool. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, I was sent a glow-in-the-dark Atari 5200 joystick coupler from Don up in Canada by a total surprise, man. Hmm. Yeah, I was pretty stoked I, about that. I saw that online, and you, you posted that. That's a, um, that glows in the dark? Yeah, it glows <laughs> in the dark. Because I, I made the joke uh, on the 5200 Supercomputer podcast uh, when we did the Space Dungeon episode. It's like, man... I need to get one of those joystick couplers. I, I think it would be cool if someone could 3D print one. I'd, I'd like to have one that glows in the dark. And lo and behold, I got one that glows well, in the dark. Well, you know, he beat me to it. Uh-oh. Oh, yeah, he did. Because I have glow-in-the-dark plastic. Dun, That's dun, one, of, one of the reels of, uh, of um, plastic that I have for my 3D printer. And I have a couple of them. And I was going to take the measurements, and that's what you were going to get next Christmas. <laughs> oh, oh, that's cool. But he beat me to it, and I'm glad he did, because you've been waiting long enough. Uh, I had a, a buddy that runs his retro artifacts. He uh, he gave me a Radio Shack pocket repeat electronic game, which is pretty cool. It's signed yeah. by Radio Shack. Uh, Radio Shack toys are starting to become kind of neat to collect, because you know, Radio Shack's basically gone. So they had a lot of cool toys back, you know, back in my day. Merle Control cars and little robots and things like that. Lots of cool stuff. Yeah. 
But other than that, you know, I've been seeing a lot of movies. I've been on a movie binge lately. Uh, I've been dying to talk about Justice League since I saw it, but I knew we needed to wait so we didn't have a lot of spoilers for those who haven't seen it yet. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking for. I just I just saw downsizing this week. It's not all that great. It's, it's oh, well, that's supposed to be like a movie of the year or something. I I wasn't really impressed with it. It wasn't that many people in the theater. And also saw Jumanji this week, which I really enjoyed. That you like that? That was good. But The Rock and oh yeah. my gosh, it was great. Very funny. I haven't seen Star Wars yet. I've been too busy. Yeah, I saw that when it first came out. I've seen it twice now. I'm I'm hearing that there's like good and bad, and there's controversy, and it's like, ah, I'll go see well, this. It's. It... Well, we can talk about that. Yeah, we you... can talk about that after you see it. Maybe and by on the, the next way, episode, because it'll be out there long <clears> enough. Your photo comic there is called Fumetti. It's called what? Fumetti. F-U-M-E-T-T-I. What? Fumetti. That's photo comics. I like Fragili. Fumetti. Fumetti. <laughs> look it up. Look it up. <laughs> Educate photo. yourself. You I knew there was a name for it. Photo comics. Fumetti. See, I'm learning stuff. It's a teacher coming out of you. You're teaching me again. When, when you hear this, when you when you edit this, I mentioned Fumetti back when you when you first mentioned that you got it. I said I think it's called Fumetti, and I just looked it up, and it is called Fumetti. I wasn't listing you. Why would you do that? <laughs> You're in a whole other state. Why would you listen to me? I'm in my own little world right now. Yeah. <clears throat> so, moving on. <clears throat> Let's read this one email that we got real quick. I'll let you read this one. Me? Yeah, I'll let you read this one. <clears throat> okay, so we have an email from someone named Flagpoints Dave. Your question Hey guys, I'm looking, I'm loving your latest episode and I really enjoyed your previous one featuring the fantastic interview with Gary and Elone Sapper. I'm attaching a few photos of my beloved Mastercaster. Before I discovered G.I. Joe, I loved all kinds of toys, including this wonderful creation. Making my own cars was a thrill and anyone listening who had a Mastercaster in their youth knows exactly what I'm talking about. The power. I would love it if Gary would be willing to sign the back of these vintage Mastercaster toy photos. Do you think you could hook a fellow toy aficionado up? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Also love hearing about your latest video game finds. I'm enjoying my Dungeons & Dragons computer fantasy game. I busted out the graph paper to keep track of what's in each room, and I plan to geek out with that this holiday season. Well, yeah, it's freezing out. I'd stay indoors. <laughs> stay indoors. That's like the perfect thing to do. Yeah. Oh yeah. If you got the time, that's that sounds great to me. Just got back from Walmart and I saw that Basic Fun put out a joust game. Yeah, not in my area. Not your area. <laughs> I love it when they use the video option instead of LCD color or monochrome. Yeah. I really wish they would make a proper Galaga. Oh yeah. Have you heard anything about that or Coleco tabletop? Reissues. Uh, Dave, rewind this uh, podcast a little bit and you can hear us talk about that. Hope you guys have an awesome holiday season and plenty of fun trips to the toy stores before Christmas. Thanks again for an awesome podcast. Flag points, Dave. Dave, thank you. Thank you very much. That's a, um, well, let's see. <clears throat> I think we can get Gary to sign those, can't we? Oh, yeah. He'll, he'll, be, he'll probably be thrilled to death. 
such that, a nice guy. Yeah, I can oh see you're gonna talk about that. Yeah. Uh, this these this these two are, are so incredible. Yeah, they really they really are. And that and at their age and they're still doing it. I love that. I love that they're like they're inspiring, you know? Yeah, very like, inspiring. Yeah. Um I went to Walmart last week and here uh, they just have the same old, same old basic fun games. There's no Joust, there's no Rampage. Uh, there's no um, Defender. I don't think there's a Defender anywhere yet, is there? No, it's not out yet. It comes out in the spring. Oh, okay. <clears throat> and I agree with them. Uh, the video option is much better than the LCD color monochrome. Oh, yeah. And In fact, Christmas Eve, uh, the neighbors across the street, we invited them over. And they have two boys, like eight and fourteen. And so we're sitting there, and I said, "Hey, anybody want to play a Pac-Man?" And the kids, you know, the, you know, the Pac-Man is universal. And they're like, "Yeah." So um, I went and I got them the basic fun black and white LCD Pac-Man game. And he played with it for about two minutes. <laughs> and I said, "What's the matter?" And he says, "This sucks. It's glitchy." And he says, I can't tell which direction I'm going. He can't tell where to go. He goes, I don't like it. So the 14-year-old brother's like, oh, let me try it. So he tries it. He plays it for about two minutes. He's like, this isn't Pac-Man. I'm like, you know, I had a Nelsonic watch that used to play Pac-Man just like this. And I used to, like, hide at work and play with that thing, you know, yeah, turn right. the sound off. And, I, you know, it worked for me. But, um, you know, we came from the 2600 days where – to have anything on our wrist that small would work for us. And these kids are, you know, doing, you know, Xboxes and Minecraft and everything else. So they had a hard time with it. They didn't care for it at all. And um, and I, I could have gone and gotten my, my video-based Bridge Direct games like Frog or Cubert or anything, but I liked them and I don't want them going home with them. So I didn't, I didn't share. <laughs> <laughs> because if they really liked it and they said this is great i probably would have let them go home with it and oh no yeah i know i know that's what i end up doing a lot it's like oh yeah take it it's kind but, of weird uh, that you've not really found the jouster rampage in your area uh, i see them constantly do, oh yeah really good for you it's no no, they, no they're not uh, they're not here oh. at least the last time i was there just last week and they were. yeah i had the uh the people that make those uh basic fun contact me uh, so they, we could talk about you know stuff that's coming up and everything like that so I'm kind of excited about about that getting some advanced information on what they're doing do well David wants to know David well, wants I haven't to know. Been given anything yet okay just do you think there's gonna be a Gallagher I don't know I, I told him that would be an awesome one to do and since they seem to be favoring NES ports to put on those things there is an NES version of Galaga. Yeah, they haven't done Galaxian yet, though. I know. There's an NES version of that, too, for the Famicom. Yep. I love it on the Famicom. That's a that's a good version of Galaxian. And um, and I think we, we talked about the Coleco tabletop reissues. And, yep. And yeah. I like I like his little comment about the Dungeons & Dragons computer fantasy game. I think he's talking about little that little one from Mattel that I've got here. And oh, I, like the I uh, used to use graph paper to play that game in uh, in school when I first got it. Yeah, to map out all the rooms and everything. So I it's have like, a, it's actually quite fun. Now, mine is the same as yours, only it's a red case and it's Masters of the Universe. It's yep. the cast of Grayskull on it, and you can see He Man and Skeletor 
um, running around. What what's on yours running around? What kind of graphic do they have on the Dungeons and Dragons? Well, there's a there's a dragon graphic that appears. Mm-hmm. There's also your your explorer. That's on there. I'm pretty sure there's a bat graphic that appears uh, appears as well. I can't remember. I think mine's a, it's mine's a, a hawk, and he'll pick you up. He'll pick up uh, He-Man and, and fly him and drop him somewhere. And sometimes he drops you right in the uh, jail cell. Well, these are really cool. You know, credit card size games you can toss in your pocket. Oh, yeah, I love this thing. I mean, I killed a lot of time with that computer, that Dungeons and Dragons computer fantasy game. A lot of time. On the bus. Yeah. It's pretty good. Yeah. Um, you can turn the, I think you can turn the sound off, right? Oh, let me look at mine real quick. I can't remember. Oh, where are you? I was playing with mine recently, and I actually wore out no. the battery. No. No, you can't turn the sound off? Can't turn the sound off. <clears throat> They're not very loud, but um, no. yeah, they are, they are pretty convenient, and I have, uh, you know, I have played mine when, you know, I have to wait for something, and I like it. Oh yeah, there's, there's three levels on there. There's three different games on it. 1981. <clears throat> yeah. Real simple controls: got cursor, attack, and move. Yes. <laughs> I think I posted. You posted a picture of yours. I think I posted a picture of my Masters of the Universe. Yeah. They are pretty much the same. Oh yeah. Awesome little games. Really cool. Yeah. So let's talk about. The Justice League movie. Oh boy! Okay. What were your <clears throat> thought, what, what, what were your initial thoughts on the movie? My well, I, I did you we, like it? Did you enjoy we, it? Yes, I liked it very much. Um, I walked out um, saying, "Boy, that was fun! I had a good time! I had fun at that movie." Uh, I I did enjoy it. Because, you know, they, they brightened up, you know, they brightened things up since Batman v. Superman. Uh, Superman had a, uh, you know, the proper colors. He had brighter he had a brighter suit than, yep. oh, oh, my gosh, a spoiler. Like, yeah, Superman comes back. Um, but <clears throat> he didn't have the dark suit, and it was a lighter suit, and he was more Superman. I, I, I really enjoyed it. I really liked the movie a lot. I had... You know, a couple of issues with it that I just let go. <laughs> um, you know, there's the well. You know, let me let me hear your if you liked it before I dig into what bothered me about it and what I liked about it. Oh, I really enjoyed it. Anything with Superman in it, I'm going to like. <laughs> uh, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, you know, probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie is right after Superman comes back. And the Flash is trying to sneak up behind him, and he starts turning his head. Oh, <laughs> look on the Flash's face! This made yeah. me roll. Yeah, he wow, he can see like, me. Yeah. Oh crap! <laughs> and 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 at the same time, it's also something in that scene that bothered me was when Batman was you know yelled out, "Oh my leg!" Because oh, Batman, yeah. he never complains when he. Oh. Well, I do like oh. how he's rolling around saying, "Oh, yep, something's bleeding." <laughs> Yeah, well, I did like it. I mean, I didn't. I'm just saying that it was an un-Batman-like thing to do, but I, I liked it. Um, I think. I think first of things that I that I have a question with, you know, that I I took issue with, but it's believe me, none of this spoiled the movie for me. They went to a lot of lengths in Batman v Superman to kind of set things up for the next movie. Yes. 
And I thought that, you know, where, ba- where Superman's body is like a solar battery, like a solar cell, you could kind of see that maybe there might be, some, you know, there were signs of him coming back to life at the closing scene of Batman v Superman when the dirt was rising up off the casket. Yes. Yeah. They did not follow through with that. However, they, they, they used the crashed spaceship in Metropolis and these guys dunked Superman's body in the same pool that they made um, Doomsday out of and, they, and that's how they brought him back. And I don't know, I don't know, supposedly there's like another, like an extended version or something out there. I'm not going to get into all that because other podcasts have beat it to death and nobody knows for sure what they're going to do or if they've done it or what they're even talking about. So I'm just going to go by what, I, what I've seen on, on the screen with both movies. They kind of led you to believe that, you know, maybe Superman was going to come back the way he did in the comic books. And, you know, Lois and his mother could have nurtured him back or whatever. I certainly didn't expect to see the Flash and Cyborg turn into a couple of grave diggers. <laughs> yeah. and, and not use their powers to dig that grave, by the way. <laughs> really quick and really fast and really powerful. They didn't use the, not they didn't use any powers. But I did like I did like the companionship, the camaraderie between Cyborg and the Flash. I, yes. I, I, I like I liked the chemistry between them a lot. That was really good uh, chemistry. I liked Cyborg a lot in this movie. I thought the actor was excellent. I thought he had a lot of charm. I thought he really just nailed this character that came from Teen Titans and he he just got him, he fit him right in. I think he did a great job. And I hope to see more of him in, in these movies if they continue making them, which <laughs> I don't know about that either. Um, at the very beginning of the movie, I thought, oh, this is cool. We have Batman at street level. He's up on a, well, street level, um, civilian level, I guess. What, what am I trying to say? Typically in these movies, uh, you have, and even with the Marvel movies, you have these heroes doing things that the general public are just not aware of. Yeah, they're saving the world, they're saving our lives, but we don't know it. There are these big secret forces from outer space, and then these heroes are doing this stuff, and the people on Earth, they might see (coughs) the fighting, like they did in Metropolis and New York City and the Avengers, that's when they get to... But you don't see these heroes doing things at a street level like rescuing people or thwarting a bank robbery or you don't get to see a lot of that in these movies you always see these bigger than life battles so it was pretty exciting at the beginning of this movie to see batman you know staking out a thief from yeah. a and being batman which is what he is i mean he's like this creature of the night that lurks around rooftops we haven't we didn't see that in the last movie so i was pretty excited to see that and then <laughs> and then I was confused because when <clears throat> the parademon showed up and Batman fought him and the parademon explodes and Batman's all concerned, oh, parademons, this isn't good, and leaves the thief there on the roof because he's preoccupied with what he just did. Batman doesn't turn the guy in. And I'm like, well, that's not really a Batman thing to do either. So there were, you know, there were things like that that, you know, sort of bothered me a little bit. On the other hand, there were really cool things like, how cool was it when they were setting up a, a room in the old part of Wayne Mansion with a table for the Justice League? Yeah. I, I mean, that's just something we've only seen in comics. And to see that in a, in a decent movie, 
I, I thought that was great. And I think that was filmed afterwards. It was like, yeah, let's you have to use part of the studio here for a room and let's just get everybody back and let's have them do. I mean, you know, because <clears throat> we, we did have Zack Snyder as the director and he had to leave due to uh, a family matter. And they had Joss Whedon come in, who was working on the Marvel movies. You know, he did a lot of the stuff with the Marvel movies. And he, he directed some of the reshoots, which they threw in there to kind of lighten up uh, the movie. I think one of those scenes is very obvious, the one with Aquaman sitting on Wonder Woman's <laughs> truth. <laughs> telling the truth, telling everybody everything on the line. <laughs> um, which I thought was, was, was very funny. Um, you know, it... Um, I think they were trying to do a little damage control. I think the bottom line is is that Warner Brothers, and I'm not going to say DC. These are DC characters, but DC doesn't make these movies. DC is a comic book company. It's Warner Brothers. They might happen to own DC, but Warner Brothers makes these movies. And I think that they listened to the audience. They listened to people. They listened to the, you know, they they read the internet. People thought that uh, Batman v Superman was a little grim. And so they tried to lighten things up. And I think halfway through this movie or a quarter of a way into the making of this movie, they started fixing it. And so I think that you, uh, you know, might, might notice things like that. But I thought it was pretty good. And the other thing, and, and it's word of mouth. I'm, I'm really getting tired of these people who go online. And, and I mean, I don't read this stuff anymore. But in this day and age, you have people that, like, will trash a movie simply because they can. Yeah. And I think the Rotten Tomatoes score is unfair. I think there are some people who have been unfair to this movie. I think it's a good movie. And I did not know that Henry Cavill was in the middle of making another movie um, with a mustache. Yeah. (laughs) And some of the scenes, they had to use CGI to remove the mustache. Yep. So I go to the movie, and I'm like, I don't see anything. You know, people are like, oh, I couldn't take my eyes off his top lip. Well, stop looking at his top lip, because I saw his top lip, and I didn't have a problem with it. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe if you look hard enough, you might be able to see that it might have been docking, but you wouldn't have known. You wouldn't have noticed. And not every scene um, had that issue with the mustache. No. So I didn't have a problem with that. And I didn't have a problem with that at all. Um I, I think that if people go with certain expectations or if, look at, there are so many different versions of these characters, so many different versions of these books. Uh, you pick up a comic book and what happened to Batman in one comic book, it's not like that, say, in another comic book. And you can call it alternate worlds or different earth. I don't care what you call it. But it's the nature since comic books began that, you know, there are different issues with these different kinds of characters. I mean, how many different kinds of Batman uh, have we had going back to the Adam West Batman? Yeah, going back to the serial Batman of the 40s. So I look at I looked at Batman v Superman as like, yes, there are grim comic book stories out there. There are some very dark, grim, gritty, you know, uh, comic book movies out there with where Batman and Superman beat the crap out of each other. And there are more lighthearted stories. And there's the stories in between. And there's a story where Batman does this or he doesn't do that. So I look at these movies like, look, they're going to show me something. I'm going to like it. Probably I'll just like it because I like this stuff. You know, yeah. I'm not saying I'm going to like everything that they do. But I don't, I don't, I think that this movie got a bad rap. And I think that's too bad. I, 
I like the movie. And, and, and that's in light of the fact that they didn't follow through with some of the things that were laid down in Batman v Superman. I don't care. I liked it. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I like how when, you know, Batman would swing out on a rope or something like that, his cape would flop out like they do in the, in the comic books. Yes. I thought that was a great touch. Yeah, and, and that's Zack Snyder. He, he has this uh, way of making things the way they appear on the comic book page look that way in, in the comics. That's what he's really good at. And there were some, like if you look at Batman v Superman, there's a pose that Batman does on the side of the roof with the fight of Doomsday. It's a pose taken right from um, the Dark Knight Returns, uh, the gra- Frank Miller's graphic novel. Uh, I noticed that, that that Batman fight where he comes up through the floor in Batman v Superman to, to rescue um, Clark's mother. Um, that's like the first time on film I've seen Batman fight like Batman. That was a real comic book Batman fight. Yeah, it was. And, you know, I think everybody has their own interpretation and what they expect from these characters because they're having so many versions and so many ways of telling a story. So I I think people should just need to calm down. Or if they don't, Warner Bros. will just say, hey, you know what? It's not worth it for us to make these anymore. We're not making the money, so let's just stop making them. And that 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 would be tragic. Yeah, it would. So cool. Well, I still like the very end scene where you have Superman and the Flash racing. Even though he wasn't running, Superman was cheating. He was flying. He was flying, but I did like that touch. And um, and then I like the touch. Of, you know, they, they did a second uh, scene, and you know, at the very tail end of the credits, where there was a, yet another scene. And um, you know, it was a it was a nice surprise, and it was done well. So. You know, I hope they keep... Look, at they went to the trouble of getting a table yeah. and a room for the Justice League. You know, they kind of keep making these things. Well, like I said before, I just... I really hope they get Michael Sarah's character playing Luther more like the Luther from the Justice League move, Justice League cartoons. Well, um, if you look at that final scene at the end of the credits, he, you know, yeah, he had a lot of ticks, nervous ticks in the first movie, and yeah. he was, you know... But it looked like prison sort of um, wised him up a little bit because in that final scene that he was in, he wasn't acting like he did in the first movie. He was acting a little bit more like the Luther we expect. Yeah. And I know that uh, Aquaman will be coming out, and um, I know that they're making a second Wonder Woman, and uh, there's a Shazam in the works. You know, uh, Captain Marvel. There is, um, you know, whether they do another Justice League movie, maybe down the road when they when they have a few more hits on their hands with uh, some of these other characters and they can explore these characters more, that'll be time to maybe bring back the idea of the Justice League and it could be a different lineup, uh, different characters coming and going. So yeah. I think that, you know, they've got five movies. Oh, they're doing another Suicide Squad. Uh, yeah, I know. I, I, that's one I did. I did not like. I only went to go see it because I like watching Will Smith. Yeah, um, I'm going to go on record. I'm, I'm, I'm going to come right out and say it. Um, and it might be an, unpo- an unpopular opinion. I don't like this version of the Joker. No, I don't either. He's um, I, I, well, all my life. The Joker has been a certain way, and you know, and they 
they even even the one in the Dark Knight with Heath Ledger, even though his skin wasn't naturally white, well, not naturally, but chemically, you know what I'm talking about. Yes. He had put paint on his face. But that guy acted more like the Joker yep. that I'm used to. Um, you know, we had the Jack Nicholson Joker. We even had the Cesar Romero Joker. They were all versions of the Joker that had been in the comic books. But I, this Joker, I don't like him. I'm sorry, I just don't like him. Yeah. I don't like all the tattoos. I don't like all the, 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 the grill work. Um, I just, you know, I kind of like his personality. That's a little Jokerish, but um, I'm not really happy with this version of the Joker. He's just a little too, um, I don't know. Not really, not really liking him. I'd like a more traditional Joker, but eh, that's just me. I'm set in my ways. <laughs> but there, were, there will be another Suicide Squad. They have made another one. Ugh. I know. Well, I'm, I'm hoping that they learn a little from the first one. Oh yeah. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> you know what the big problem with these movies, these DC movies, uh, seems to be that the director will make a terrific movie. Um. And then, after they make the movie, the Warner Brothers Studios is like, well, that's too long, or we need to edit it. And somebody who, was, who didn't even make the movie, you know, the studio edits it. And, you know, that happened with Batman v Superman. I, I was so confused the first time I saw that movie, and I shouldn't be confused walking out of a comic book movie. <laughs> I mean, let's face it, you know? So I had I to watch it several times on HBO. Then I finally... I finally bought the uh, the three hour extended version, which is basically the version that Zack Snyder wanted wanted to make. This is before somebody cut it all up to the theater. Yep. And there might have been like a snip here and a snip there, just you know whatever. But they cut out things that made that had that movie make more sense. And three hours is a long time to sit there and watch a movie, but I did, and I enjoyed the movie that much more. My butt fell asleep a couple. <laughs> but, you know, I had to take a break and go outside and walk around. But I'm just saying that it was a much better movie than what they delivered to the theaters. Yeah, the extended, and, the extended cut's much better. And I hope this isn't a trend. I hope you know. I don't want to. I don't. I don't think that people should have to like go see a hacked up version in the theater and then have to go and buy the extended version on DVD. I just don't think you know. Just get it right the first time and put it in the theater. Yes, yeah. definitely. Well, those are my thoughts. Awesome. Well, <laughs> for those of us that have Netflix, there was a really cool little documentary series release called The Toys That Made Us. Yeah. They have a really nice Facebook page as well. Uh, they released four episodes so far. Uh, the first one is Star Wars. Then you have G.I. Joe, Barbie, and He-Man. And of course, really one of the ones I was interested in was the Star Wars one because that talked about a lot of the toys I grew up with, which mm -hmm. was really cool. I wasn't really into G.I. Joe much. Definitely wasn't into Barbie. Mm -mm. And He-Man was way after I got out of you know, toys and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. yeah. But it was actually a really good series. It's about an hour, an hour episode each. Yeah. Pretty well done. Yes. Did you watch all of them? I watched all of them. I watched all of them. Yeah. And I found something very surprising after I watched them. On the same way, I was not interested in G.I. Joe. Um, I Star Wars, 
you played with them. They were, I was certainly aware of them, but I wasn't, you know, I just gotten out of the whole toy thing when the, when uh, those came out. Um, didn't play with Barbies. Uh, my sister didn't even have a Barbie. And uh, what was the other one? He-Man. Oh, He-Man. Yeah, the only thing I had to do with He-Man was that I was aware of the cartoon. Again, I it wasn't, you know... I had the I had the, the He Man I had the Masters of the Universe uh, Dungeons and Dragons uh, um, LCD game, but naturally I didn't you know no I didn't play with that so I, I got to watch these from a perspective of I like toys um, I didn't play with really any of these, but you'll be surprised to find out what my favorite episode was and what my least favorite episode was. Okay. Do you have a favorite and least favorite? Oh yeah, Star Wars was my favorite. Uh huh. Barbie was my least favorite. <laughs> okay, so um, Barbie was my favorite, and Star Wars was my least favorite. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. I know why Star Wars was your favorite. Star Wars, I thought it was too long. It was, I got bored. It was the longest episode they did, too. I mean, there was some interesting stuff in there, but I thought a lot of that stuff could have been cut. That was like, just went on too long and so that was my least favorite i wasn't interested in gi joes and i wasn't interested in barbie of course or any of that stuff but i found the backstories interesting and barbie episode had the seeniest (laughs) most serious people behind that doll well what cracked me up was that the very first scene you see is this guy whipping out this doll and the lady goes are those nipples? Oh, well, wait a minute. Yeah, he yeah. sands them off. And that was the guy who introduced Barbie, and she was based on a Dutch hooker doll. Yeah. They said they were going to modify, and they really didn't modify it. That original Barbie was looked exactly... Uh, Lily, I think, was the name. Was it Lily? I forget the name of the doll, but it was a Dutch doll based on a cartoon in Holland about a hooker. <laughs> and the guy who... They reenacted the scene at the beginning. The guy, that's the guy who made all the money off of it. And, you know, he lived like this real decadent lifestyle and the parties and all that. And I'm, I'm thinking, who knew that this Barbie, you know, the behind the scenes of this Barbie doll were so wild. Yeah. So I, I found that very interesting. And I, so I thought it had a very interesting backstory. So that was kind of like one of my, that was like my favorite one. The Star Wars one was, I thought, too long, like I said. But I did like how these guys had to come up with these figures on these vehicles, and they tried everything, and they had, like, next to no time to produce this stuff. And what these guys did was amazing. I mean, it was like almost they did the impossible, getting this stuff sculpted and molded and out. Uh, And and did such a high-quality job. That part of the story was, was fantastic. Well, when I've been out and about in my travels, I hit a couple stores. I went back to my buddy store, Retro Artifacts, over in Maryville, Tennessee. And I picked up a Mattel Soccer LED handheld game. And the re-release, Mattel Baseball, as well. How does that compare with the original? Yeah, the sounds are a little bit different. But it's not, it's not too bad. I'll be do, I'm going to do a, a comparison video. That shows the original and the re-release to show how they compare to one another. 
And then I stopped at an antique mall over in Winston-Salem, and I found a Coleco tabletop Pac-Man hmm. for 20 bucks. Well, you were just picking these Coleco tabletops up everywhere. Yeah, I get pretty lucky every once in a while. This one's complete, has the battery cover and everything, just needs a new decal set on it. Also saw a really cool Shopper Super Toe toy. This is a toy that came out in the late 70s where it's a football player and you have a goal post and you put the little football in front of him and you hit the top of his head and he'll kick the football. You try to get it through the goal post. Oh, cool. It's actually a pretty cool toy. Uh, Back when I was young, my mom's side of the family, we would do secret Santa things where you buy a gift for one person, they buy one gift for another, that kind of thing. And I remember one of my cousins getting one of these super toes and we had a ball with it playing around, kicking that football all over the place. Of course, they made other ones, too, and they made one of us a basketball. I think they made a hockey player one as well. It was kind, and of, this, kind of a neat toy line. And this was Shopper. S-C- Shopper, who, makes stomp, who made the Stompers, 4x4s. Was it S-C-H-A-P-E-R? Yes, Shopper. I think they made the Cootie game. I think they did, yes. Because yeah, every time they showed a commercial back then of something else like Stompers or whatever... They would always show a little cootie next to the next to the shopper name. Yes, I think they did make the cootie game. <laughs> you did. got cooties. We, Watch out for the all, cooties. And you, did you have a cootie game? No, but I've played it. I think I think we ha- we had one. I think I, I thought everybody had a. Co- I think that that was like a right, you know, a, a, a rite of passage. You turn three, you got a, a cootie game. A cootie game. <laughs> and I saw a neat game by uh, Ideal called Mister Muscle. And on this game, you would try to, uh, the way you play the game is you would try to determine how much weight Mr. Muscle could lift. It has a, had a series of rubber bands and stuff like that in it. Pretty neat. It's a pretty neat game. Hmm. Yeah. It's a game, not a toy, right? It's, yeah, it's, it, it's basically, yeah, it's a game. Yeah. That's pretty cool. It's pretty much all I've really seen traveling out and about. Oh, so well that sounds pretty good. Um, yeah. The um, the Super Toe toy reminds me of. Do you remember the Elden electric football games and electric baseball games? The ones with the, the vibrate. Yeah, they vibrate. <sighs> yeah, and the runners on the baseball, you know, they they ran inside of it, you know, a track around the diamond, and yeah, um, I believe that the kicker had like a peg on the end of his toe and a little football the size of a little bigger than a right you know a little bigger than a rice crispy <laughs> would sit on his and you would hit the you put it on his toe and then there'd be like a lever because his leg was spring loaded and there was a lever behind his foot yes down and it would kick the football down the vibrating field yes i remember that yeah yeah i had a cousin that had one of those classic uh, electric football sets you sit there and on each player, you could, you could turn this like little uh, dial or whatever like that. It would control how it, which way it went when it fired, either spin in place or go off in an arc, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, it had a, um, it had like a, a bolt. You would turn this this bolt under the uh, or somewhere on the field, and it would adjust the amount of vibration. Yes, and, and then you had a switch on the. Um, electric cord that plugged into the wall there'd be a switch on it and so when it was time to move you throw the switch and then after when the play was over you turn this throw the switch again it would turn the vibration off 
Yeah, it was. Uh, I I had the baseball one, which was really weird. That was all. That was weird. Um, <laughs> because it was like you would set up behind the home plate. You would set up this metal backstop, and you would hang like a flat metal baseball player. It was like a cutout picture of a baseball player, drawing of a baseball player. And you could hang him on the left side or the right side, so he could be a left-hand swing. He doesn't actually swing. Um, on the backboard, you know, there are you know little spaces marked, you know, single, double, whatever. The pitcher was this handle that had a spring-loaded, like a catapult. And you would use your thumb and you would pull back a little platform that held these little square magnets where you'd hold one of so the balls were actually square magnets. And you would you would release it and it would fling the square magnet and it would stick on the back board and on the backstop and wherever it would land it would tell you what kind of a hit you got. And then so you know the it was not to scale. The, the, the cutout of the baseball player was not to scale because the runners on the field were those small plastic things. They had these two little, like, cellophane fins coming out. That's what made them, like, react to the vibration. And, um, and of course, the, the actual baseball player, the hitter, was like a giant compared to those. So after you got a double or whatever, you would hit the switch and it would vibrate the little runner from home plate down to first base or you'd let it go to whatever beyond that I couldn't figure it I was so young I was really young when I got this and I could not figure out how you make outs and how you have multiple I, I don't know it was just weird to me but um, everybody I knew had the football game which was more manageable the baseball one was pretty abstract oh it's really well as you could still find those electric football games at Toys R Us they still sell them? They still sell them. There's a company that still makes them. Oh, my God. Yeah, I remember I was in there uh, doing some Christmas shopping to buy uh, toys for the Toys for Tot thing I do every year. Yeah. I went down uh, this one aisle. They had a lot of classic toys in it. And there was a electric football set. I was like, whoa. <laughs> wow. So I, I, Eldon's not even in business anymore, are they? No, it's this is a whole different company. Is it, the, does it look the same? Pretty much, yeah. Just more modern looking. Wow. But yeah, they had like the cl they had a, a re release of the classic Stretch Armstrong in there. Huh. Uh, they had some other classic toys as well that I remember that 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 they did re releases on, which is kinda interesting to see this stuff come back. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised they never made like a um uh a palm sized Stretch Armstrong. Oh yeah, like world's smallest. Yeah, that was just you know it didn't it didn't have to be filled with that liquid. It just could have been like real stretchy rubber that you could do like little things with, like have it fling pennies. I don't know. The, fling pennies. I don't know, but I mean, I'm just saying that wrap around like, the pencil. You, know? you could tie their, you know, get a bunch of them. And you could tie their hands together and make long, you know. I'm just surprised they didn't come out with miniature versions of Stretch Armstrong. They came out with mini miniature versions of a lot of toys back in those days yeah, well there's a company that specializes in it right now it's called uh, uh, World Smallest they make they make like a little Barbie they make a little Rubik's Cube a little Etch-a-Sketch those little arcade machines bunch of uh, stuff I have the Etch-a-Sketch yeah. yeah it's called World Smallest 
It's the world's smallest. Yeah, pretty. It's they, a pretty cool company. Do they have a Stretch Armstrong? I don't know. I, I don't remember seeing one on their website. I have to look again sometime. Seems like a no-brainer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was a very popular yeah. toy back then. So, anyway. When it comes to toys, money doesn't always equal fun. You can give a child a $10 gift, and sometimes it'll end up on the floor, and the child will be playing with the box. That's not likely to happen with toys and games made by Shopper, the cootie company. Whether it's Tumblebug, Tickle Bee, or Cootie. They're simple, inexpensive, and fun. Now, every Shopper game includes this warranty card. Write Shopper within 90 days and defective parts or game replaced free. You can trust the Cootie Company. It's sometime in the future. The ultimate challenge. Crossfire. Crossfire. You get caught up in the crossfire. Time now for Norm's Board Game Quarter. Good day, folks. This is Norm from the Board Game Museum. I'm hoping you guys had a wonderful Christmas holiday. Uh, today I am going to be talking about a game called Crossfire. Uh, now, there were at least three versions of this game that I'm going to talk about today. Um, there was one that was created by Ideal in 1971, another one that was created by Milton Bradley in the mid-90s, and then there was one created by Hasbro in 2016. So anyway, the object of the crossfire is you've got two pucks in the middle of a board, and uh, depending on the rules that you have, you're going to be trying to knock one or both pucks into your opponent's goal. And the way you're going to do this is uh, each side has a little plastic gun, and um, there's a number of ball bearings that go into the gun, and what you're going to do is you're going to shoot these uh, little ball bearings out towards the pucks to try to get them in your opponent's goals. And these are on both sides. Uh, so both sides are going to be shooting these balls, and uh, that's where the name Crossfire comes from. A uh, very simple game to play. Uh, the one that came out from Ideal is a rather large board. I believe it's probably about three and a half to four and a half feet long. Um, we basically put it on our kitchen table to play this thing. And it has these uh, little metal things that go over the board, which count as your goal. And uh, basically, you're going to be trying to get the, pole, the, the pucks into those goals. Uh, now, the cool thing about the game is it's uh, created in a way to where the balls are going to go into uh, this uh, little pocket uh, that you're going to be able to scoop the balls from and then reload your gun. So a lot of the game, you're going to be shooting, reloading, shooting, reloading. Um, and um, this game is just a lot of fun to play. Um, in the 71 version, it has two round pucks. Uh, they're basically ball bearings that are surrounded by some kind of plastic thing, and you're basically just going to be shooting at them. Uh, you can sh play with one puck and just try to get it into your opponent's goal. You can play with two pucks, and uh, you can try... Each person has a puck of their own, and they're trying to keep 
their puck from going into their goal while trying to get their opponent's puck into their goal, if that makes sense. Um, another way you can play is you just uh, have two pucks out, and any time a puck goes into uh, a goal, that opponent scores a point, and you just keep putting the puck on the board or the puck's on the board, and you just go to a certain uh, score number. Um, the Milton Bradley game is the one that most people know about. Uh, this came out in the mid-'90s, and this was the version that has a lot of nostalgia and is a blast to play. Now, I have not personally played it. I know Willie has played it. And um, the board is a lot shorter. It's uh, shaped differently. It has a much more modern uh, look to it. And the ball bearings are smaller, and the pucks are shaped in two different shapes. Uh, one's shaped like a star, and another one is shaped like a triangle. And this concept is the same. You're just going to be uh, shooting these metal balls out, trying to get these pucks into uh, the goal. Um, now, this is the game that goes for probably about $50 or $60 on eBay. Um, from the reviews that I've read, everybody that loves this game, it's very addictive. <laughs> and uh, it comes with a lot of different balls as well. Um, now, 2016 Hasbro re-released this game. It has a slightly different look. It's about the same size. And my wife and I tried it out. And uh, we both discovered uh, that, for some reason, the pucks in this game did not move very far. Uh, the ball bearings in the pucks don't roll. Uh, they basically stay stationary when they get hit. Um, unlike the version, the ideal version, where the, the ball bearings actually roll on the board, which make them move a lot further. So as a result, with this version of the game, we really didn't like it that much. We would literally be shooting and shooting and shooting and shooting for about 15 minutes, and we would not score just because every shot would cancel out the movement of the puck. The puck would barely move. So we really didn't like that. Now, um, I have heard that the 90s version of Crossfire does not have that issue. The puck ball bearings in the pucks will actually roll, and um, that basically makes the game a lot more fun, in my opinion. you got to have a puck that moves, because if you don't have a puck that moves, you'll just simply be shooting at a stationary object forever. Um, so anyway, the version we have is the ideal version, 1971, and I'm trying to find out if the Milton Bradley version has pucks uh, where the ball bearings will roll when they get hit. The Hasbro version from 2016 does not have that. Um, so I would eventually like to maybe get this game, uh, the uh, mid middle version, um, because it's a lot of fun. The version we have is an older version, but it's a lot of fun to play. I find My wife and I find that we uh, play this game over and over and over again, even though we only were going to plan on playing maybe two or three games, but we end up playing like way more than that. Um, is it worth getting? Uh, I can definitely say for the ideal version, yes, it is. It goes for probably about $40 plus shipping. Um, so that's going to most likely be the most expensive one since it's the largest. Um, the Milton Bradley one, um, I think that goes for around $50, $60 or something like that. Um, from the reviews that I've read, that would be the version to get for sure um, because everybody has said that that's just a very great game, a fun game. Um, and I haven't seen a lot of reviews on the one from Hasbro yet. The only one that I found was a person that said that the pucks don't move as well on the board as it does in the Milton Bradley version. Um, so anyway, if there was a way to get those pucks to move on the board, it would be a lot more enjoyable in my opinion. Uh, but Crossfire is definitely a game that if you like uh, high action games with a lot of rapid action in it, definitely a game to consider getting. Um, so 
Anyway, guys, that is my uh, review of the day. Uh, please feel free to check out my YouTube page at Board Game Museum. I do a lot of uh, vintage board game reviews on there and a lot more things. And I hope you all have a wonderful day. Take care, and we'll see you next time. Where's Merlin? Where did it go? Jenny's got a playing tic-tac-toe. Now where's Merlin? When last seen, it was out with Dad playing blackjack. Thirteen. Where's Merlin now? It's not there. It's out with Billy playing magic square. Merlin is a computer with personality. Plays six different games, talks with 20 sounds. Six pen light batteries not included. Where's Merlin now? Better come clean. In the kitchen with Mom playing music machine. Merlin from Parker Brothers. Well, let's talk about Turbo Beeb. Oh, boy. Yeah. Or you can just go to YouTube and see the video. <laughs> <laughs> it's all in the video on YouTube. Well, it was, it was a very interesting uh, toy. You know, what you made was very close to the actual thing. Yeah, I, I'm strictly going off of memory when I made that. And. I remembered it. I completely forgot that it came with a spring launcher that you could launch it across the floor. I forgot all about that. Um, I think because mostly I played with the the pen light that was inserted into it so that it would have a light. So that's over the years, because this was a very long time ago that I had this thing. So um, I tried to do the best I could recreating it and you know, you can see in the video that I got, like, the rear wheels, you know, I guess I made the wings, I should have made the rear wings lower because they had fenders for the wheels to poke up through the wings. Yep. And I made the body too much of a straight tube, and um, it, it's, it's more curvy. And I think I am going to, I'm going to probably end up redoing the whole body. Somebody, um, one of the comments on YouTube was, was saying that, you know, that, uh, you know, to let them know, you know, alert, alert people when I remake it. And, yeah, I will. I, I, I will definitely, you know, mention it on here, and then I'll de definitely do another video of it, of an update. And I will, you know, I have to fix the cockpit, I have to pick, uh, fix the body lines, and I have to fix the rear wings and make fenders, uh, covered fenders and all that stuff to cover the wheels. But, um you know, it was close. You're right, it was close. The, the photos in the video, the ones that you found, it was a red body with yellow wheels. And mine was a, uh, the one that I had as a kid was a yellow body with red wheels. So I'm guessing that they always use red and yellow plastic and they'd mix it up. So um, I made mine yellow with red wheels. And I'll probably, I don't know, maybe I'll make two. Maybe I'll print out two when I redesign it and have a red with yellow and a yellow with red. But, um, yeah, and I also didn't go to the trouble of making a pen light with a spring contact and everything. I just put in one of those um, balloon lights from Party City just to have a light in the front end. And, uh, you know, I was happy with that. But I'll tell you, Willie, I have not laid eyes on that actual toy probably since I was a kid. Wow. So it was to see it in the, and of course the blister pack that it came in, well, you know, Christmas Day when I took it out of the pack, I never saw that pack again, but it looked familiar when I saw the pictures of it. And um, and then when I actually saw the design of the actual car, it brought back so many memories, even more <laughs> memories than when I printed this out, you know, 
pushing it around on the desktop. I was like, <laughs> I mean, it was so cool seeing that. I was like, I thought it was just a little, you know how they make these little toys and then they, they're lost to history because yes. they weren't a deal. And I thought that's what this was. And I even thought it was made in Japan. It was made in Chicago. I know, and that's something. Uh, I remember you telling me that you thought it came from Japan and ended up finding out it was done by Triplay Toys based in Chicago, Illinois. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they made a whole lot of different little toys that you would find hanging, hanging on the pegs, like at supermarkets and things like that. And those were the best toys, weren't they? These are actually kind of cool. I mean, I looked, I looked some of them up. Unfortunately, I've not been able to find a website that talks anything about Triplay toys themselves, a history or anything. Yeah, I don't think they're in Wikipedia. I tried looking as much as I could. Even went, even went to my local library to see wow. if I could find anything. Wow. I couldn't could find nothing on Triplay toys. But I did find some stuff that they also made, along with your Turbo Beam car. They made this really cool robot called Jetto. He was the air-powered robot. And you would have a little balloon you attach to his head. You blow him up, let him loose, and he would run around the floor. He had wheels, and it would expel the air out of this little nozzle out the you back know, of him. So he was like jet powered. You, you know what? I had that. Oh, really? Yeah, and I didn't know. I can still picture it. I didn't know it was. I mean, I was a kid. I didn't know. Look at this. If you listen to this podcast long enough, all the episodes, there's a pattern here. I was into spacey, science fiction-y toys, and they really weren't licensed to a movie or anything. Oh. They were sort of like on their own. Yeah. And I ha I got it at the 5 and 10, and it had like a, a pass-through. So there was a nozzle on the top of his head, and there was one on the back of his head. And then he, he was kind of had a platform and then four wheels. And, yeah, you came with a few balloons, and I'd use other balloons. I actually got one of those big balloons you got from the carnival, you know, and I put it <laughs> up there, and I was like, I'm going to take it out to the Bonneville Salt Flats now. Let this thing go whip it down. But, you know, yeah, you would you would um, attach the balloon on top. I mean, it looked silly. Yeah. Um, you'd blow through the back of his head, and the balloon would uh, blow up, and then you would hold your finger over the back nozzle, and... You're exactly right. You put it on the floor, and it was like a jet, and it would push it, and it would roll and go whipping across the floor until the balloon was out of air. Great stuff. And you're going to mention another toy, and I have that one, too. Well, I'll see if I mention the same one you're thinking about. Uh, the, another one that they made, which is another really cool toy. I love these little cheap action toys. Yeah, me too. It was called the Boomerang Tank. No, I did not have that. And the way this one worked is you have it looks it almost looks like a, a slingshot that you would set down flat on the floor and you would push the tank into the slingshot on this rubber band and let it loose and the tank would roll away from you backwards, stop, and then come right back towards you again. Oh, it would it'd be pushing it backwards. It was winding a spring yeah. in the axle. Yeah. Yeah, and you had like a little army guy it came with. You actually had things that you could shoot from the uh, uh, boomerang part of it at the tank. <laughs> Try to knock off a little target that's on it. Pretty cool. Pretty cool I, toy. Yeah, I did not. I never even heard of that one. I did not have that one. Um, well, what I'm trying to do is I'm, I'm going to try to collect pictures. Yeah, of all the different triplay toys, 
and make like a little section on the Toy Tune Facebook page where all these different toys by TriPlay was in there. Because I'm going to try to build up like a little history for TriPlay. Yeah. Because it's be a, lot, a lot of fascinating things that they made. I had a, um, I think they made it. It was the sedan. It was a car that you would roll on the floor. And when the front bumper hit something, the car would explode into pieces. Yep. That's called the Crashmobile. There you go. I had that. <laughs> that sold around for 98 cents back then. But yeah. yeah. I'm telling you, the cheap toys were a lot of fun. Those are the ones you keep going back to, you know. <laughs> And it was, that, the crash bill, like you said, you can roll it, and when it hit an object, it just blow apart. That right there is an awesome toy. Yeah, the four fenders would come off. The roof would come off. Actually, all that was left was the uh, chassis and the wheels. And then yeah. you, you put it, I think it was like six pieces something. It was like the side doors, the trunk section, the front and rear fenders, and the roof. Yep. And, you know, um, there was like this lever inside that you would set and the bumper is what would release it and it would flick the lever up the roof had a long stem on it that would fit through the holes that the other body pieces had and then the stem would sit on top of that pressurized lever that you would set under a a notch so everything was um, because of that stem going through all these body sections, these tabs that were in, internal, right around where the front seat was, um, when you rolled it along and it hit something and it flicked and it would, the stem, you know, the stem would be launched, it would push the roof up and then all the other pieces would go flying up. So it, it didn't just like collapse. I mean, these pieces flew apart. The car flew apart in different pieces, different directions. Oh, yeah. That was a lot of fun. Oh, hell yeah, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, so you could actually wreck something and then put it back together again, roll along. And, and, you know, I used to play with it on the floor with my other cars, and this would be the car that, uh, you know, the police were chasing, or this with the bad guys in it or whatever, and then, you know, the hero would come in and run it off the road, and then it would, like, crash and explode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was probably my rocket car was chasing it, because if you go to the YouTube, if you go to YouTube and you look at the YouTube video, um, you know, it, they were showing a lot of those 1940s Superman cartoons when I was a kid on TV, and there was the Bulleteers, which was a car that was just the shape of a giant bullet, but it had retracting wings and everything, but it did have three little rear wings, not as big as the turbo beam car, but that's what the turbo beam car reminded me of, that Bulleteers car and that Superman cartoon. That's why I included that clip. Uh, It's funny how, like, you know, toys that were made back then and toys that were made in the 50s and 60s were based on things from, you know, decades previous. So here's this turbo beam car that's supposed to have wings and it's supposed to, you know, zip along the floor and be rocket charged and all this stuff. Turbo, it's in the name of the car. But it looks like it weighs a ton. It's like got all these rivets and it must have been made of all this like, you know, armor plating. You know, anything but a fast vehicle. But that was the version of science fiction we were you know dealing with as kids you know back then oh yeah star wars came along changed all that yeah (laughs) another one that they made was called jousting knights no i don't know where this one either yeah you had two knights on horses that you could shoot at each other so they would joust 
Hmm. Pretty cool. You know, the robot, what was the robot with the balloon? What did they call that one? Oh, the robot with the balloon. That, that guy was called uh, Jetto. Jetto. Oh, like a jet. Jetto. Yeah, of Jetto. Jetto. Yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm vaguely remembering the name now. Yeah, Jetto. I don't think he came in a blister pack. I think he actually came in a plastic bag with the uh, cardboard strip across the top with a hole for the peg. Yeah, well, no, this one shows it on the card. Oh, did he come in a card? Yeah, this one, this oh. one has is on a card. I'm going to have to look at a picture of it because I remember exactly what he looks like, and I'll let you know if that's exactly the one I had. A few years after I had that robot, um, one of the cereal companies, I don't know if it was Kellogg's or who it was, General Mills, um, they had free inside um, turbo cars, free inside. And basically what it was was a car that it came with a balloon and it was propelled the same way with a balloon. Oh, wow. And so they were giving those away. And, and I was going to um, design a car and print it out in 3D. And uh, it was actually, you know, make a, make a, a tunnel, like a curved tunnel that could be in CAD fitted into the car so that it would hold a balloon on top and then I could, I don't know, blow through the tailpipe or something to blow up the balloon and then let it, let it go. But I was, I was going to do that. Oh, cool. Yeah. Another, yeah. another one they did was called the Speedy Bank, which was, which was a, a uh, armored car. I don't really know much about that one, what it did. And they did a roller derby one. Not sure what that one was about. And they did a bullfighter one, too. We can have a little bull that you could fight. It, it sounds like it was hit or miss, that they were, you know, trying different things. Now, I have to tell you, is Jetto spelled with a J, J-E-T-T-O? Yes. So I just typed in Jetto. And it's a, what comes up is a dietary supplement product. <laughs> and it shows a guy running. It's a graphic of a guy running. I don't know what Jetto does. I imagine it does something. But um, I, so J-E-T-T-O. Yeah, J-E-T-T-O. Jetto. Oh, these, some of these pictures are a little on the obscene side. Um <laughs> Well, eventually, I have the pictures all up on Toy Tubes. You'll be able to see them. Yeah. And, and another one they made on these little cars. Now, this is one I would, I probably would have loved if I would have seen this. It's called Moon Satellite. And the way this one works is you have this half dome that you set on the floor that looks like the moon. And it has these arms that stick out the side. Do you have a rocket ship that you would shoot at the moon off to one side to get it to catch on one of these arms and then would spin around on the floor like you know, eight or nine, ten times orbiting mm -hmm. the moon before stopping. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's kind of like a little target game where you try to get an orbit around the moon. Pretty cool. Wow. Yeah. So I, I wonder what happened to this toy company and, and if these toys, they created them or just sold them and other companies made them or what? I've not seen these ever before until huh. we start until you start talking about that turbo beam. I've never well, seen these toys in person ever. Well, there's this thing that I had as a kid that you know, and I've mentioned it that you can get the big ticket item for Christmas or your birthday or something, but these 
little toys you would see in the five and ten or whatever. Um, and it says here, when I look up Jetto, there was I, I see it. Uh, they were selling it for nineteen cents. Yes, and it was like. Those things, if I had some change or whatever as a kid, which I rarely did, but if I could afford to buy something like that, it was something about these little toys that they fit in your pocket. You could play with them anywhere, and you ended up playing with them more than you did with the big play sets. Yeah. Probably because they were uncomplicated, and they could be anything you imagined them to be, whereas a play set was kind of locked into its own thing, I guess. I don't know. Now, something else I'm trying to find is... There was a gift guide that came out in the 60s that was also based in Chicago, Illinois. It was called Bancroft's. And TriPlay Toys had a lot of ads in those guides. So I'm trying to find a PDF version of one to wow. see what other toys that TriPlay made as well. Uh, if I could find enough, it might be a cool episode. If I could find enough stuff fun. about TriPlay. We should probably like crowdfund this and, and resurrect <laughs> Try Play and all these toys. We could probably 3D print a lot of these things, man. Probably, yeah. Like recreations yeah. of them and stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know. Yeah, the copyright must be up. Yeah. I mean, what's really, what's really neat is they also made a baseball game that was called a phono game. And as you play the game, it would actually have the sounds of the crowd, the announcer, all kinds of stuff. It had a battery-powered sound system in it. Really? Yeah, it was called Spectacular Talking Baseball. And it was a small, like, 5 and 10 type toy, or was it like no, a... No, this is one of the more upper-end toys. It came out around okay. 1960 or so. Wow. Uh, it was part of their phono, phono game line. Uh, only one I know about right now is baseball because I've just started trying to find information on TriPlay what they made, but I imagine they made others as well. So, just so that we're clear, the speech module for the Intellivision was not the first talking. Well, that was the first electronic baseball. one. That was the first electronic <laughs> talking one. This one was like a record that sat inside of the play field yeah. and stuff. You know, you know, I was kidding. Right? Yeah. <laughs> But the more, the more wow. I've been researching this TriPlay toy company, it's it's become very interesting. These cool toys that they they were making at the time. Yeah, they were really kind of creative. Yeah, some very cool action toys. Which those are always cool. Because I remember when I was going, growing up, going through the AMP, the IGA grocery stores with my mom. They always had these neat, like fifty cent toys that hang up on the pegs right there at the checkout line. And there was a lot of cool stuff in there. I, I remember getting a lot of cool toys. Well, it's like today. I mean, when I'm grocery shopping, there's there's like a, a toy aisle in most grocery stores now. Yes. And they are these kinds of toys. Yes. And they're actually kind of, they, they, they're fun looking toys. Yeah. You know, they're, they're simple, but they're fun. And yeah, it's also where you get the squirt guns and everything. But, you know, it's it, there's some pretty cool stuff there. And maybe th maybe that's like... The market that um, TriPlay was going for. Maybe they were. That's what they were. You know, five and tens and grocery stores and impulse items and things like that. And yeah, I wonder. Yeah, I would love to find out what happened to them. Why they went out. Yeah, that's that's what I'm trying to find out. 
So oh. far, I know they were up in Chicago. That's about it. Well, if anybody <laughs> will find out, you will. I'm sure. And it was a very small company. I think it had like maybe eight or nine employees. Really? Yeah. Then oh, they yeah. weren't. Then they probably weren't designing their own toys. They were probably. I bet they were getting them from Japan. Yeah, you think so? Think they, they, they were imports? Yeah, they could have been imports. Is that be kind of interesting to find out? What's interesting, I love the Jetto packaging the uh, for the Jetto robot that rolls along with the balloon. The picture, it says something like action robot or whatever, and then it has a drawing of the robot running like a track runner. Yes. <laughs> he's got legs, not wheels. <laughs> like, like, like all of a sudden you got to get this thing out of his pack and he's going to be running around like that. Like, no, 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 he's going to roll he's with gonna, air. He's going to roll with the flow. <laughs> no, they had a lot of cool science fiction toys back then. I remember... Uh, for like 50 cents in a box top or something, Kellogg's had an offer, this is back when I was a kid, of the um, battery-operated cars that would uh, go along on a cushion of air. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That those, was a big, they sold those at the back of comic books. Yeah, it was also a big cereal toy. Kellogg's sold yes. a lot of the back of cereal boxes. And just oh, yeah. go Car of the future, and it'll go along, you know, no wheels. No wheels. No wheels. <laughs> that was awesome man well now we're going to talk about a toy well it's actually it's it's a toy it's a game electronic game back in the late 70s uh electronic games really started to explode onto the scene with mattel with auto race and some other companies making these electronic games with little red leds and stuff in it uh, those were like the Game Boys of the time. I mean, they were just really advanced technology, and every kid wanted one of these things. A lot of my friends had electronic games uh, I grew up with when we went to school. We actually swap them back and forth and all kinds of stuff. But like, one. That was about Star Galactica. With the oh, LED. yeah. About well, Star Galactica game. Yeah. But there's this one that I remember seeing a TV commercial for that still sticks in my head to this day. It was Merlin. By Parker Brothers. Now, this thing definitely looked like a telephone. It did. It had a speaker at one end, like it would be like for a headset. You had keys in the middle, a keypad in the middle, almost like a, a telephone keypad. And you had some keys at the very bottom for different functions, like new game, save game, hit me, and computer turn, that kind of thing. Well, this was designed by a man by the name of Bob Doyle who was a former NASA scientist, and he came up with all these different types of electronic games. Uh, as a matter of fact, Merlin ended up only with, I think, six games on it, but he has actually like over 20-some-odd games, I mean 25 or so, that could have made it into this, that he still has to this day. Uh, he was behind Master Merlin as well. Of course, the sequel to that was... The split second, all the same type of housings. RK and I actually had a, a really great interview with Mr. Doyle. It got a little off track in different places because we was helping him also test his Facebook page where he actually does a live broadcast of stuff that he's really into called uh, philosophy. And it's called the Info Philosopher. I'll make sure I put a link to his webpage. Uh, in the show notes, so you can go check out what Mr. Doyle is doing. Uh, he discusses a lot of different philosophy subjects. I've actually watched a couple of his speeches that he's given on there, and it's been pretty interesting. 
Uh, he's a he's a pretty neat guy to listen to. Uh, very well read. It was almost like talking to Merlin. Pretty much, he is not the, the wizard, not yeah. the toy, the, cat, the the wizard. I mean, yeah. He this guy is brilliant, and he has so many ideas, and he's had so many successes, and. Um, I think that uh, the invention and selling the sales of Merlin afforded him um, the chance to do a lot of things in science that he was able to do and, and set up like a, a really nice studio for himself with uh, like six cameras or something. And um, yeah, he's got Facebook, a Facebook page. He's got, I think he said that he's designed 50 websites. Yes. And you go to his website and you can, and he, he writes books, which you can, I think you can download them. You yes, can, you can download his books. And he's just really, really interesting. And uh, he's not, there's nothing boring about this guy. No. And um, you learn something as you're being entertained. So I, 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 I really like this guy a lot. Um, we, we had a lot of fun talking with him. So, I, but Willie, I believe that he videoed while we were talking to him. He made a video of us talking to him. Yes, he did. That was part of the experiment for his his uh, his uh, studio that he put together. That he was uh, videoing as we were interviewing him. <laughs> and did he post? Was he posting that video? I think it was. I think it's up there. So the funny thing is, is that um, usually Willie and I, because we're doing this with Skype, we we turn off our cameras so that we have better bandwidth. And Bob had his camera on, so he was basically talking to two graphic symbols. One was Willie and one yes. was yes. <laughs> on his screen. But we could see him, and uh, but the video is there. And you, so you can, you, you can listen to the interview here or you can watch the video with him. And boy, was he! don't you just want to go where he was and just play? I just wanted oh, to like... I, I, I'm definitely going to pay a visit to him when I'm up in that area again. It was. It was just. It was just fascinating. Mainly because I want to get a picture of myself next to that five foot tall Merlin game he's got. He's got a five, Yeah, he's got a five foot tall Merlin game. Fully operational. And he got an award for Merlin, so they gave him oh, yeah. a Merlin, and it was in what silver? No, no, gold? it's gold plated. Gold plated. So he's yeah. got a a trophy that's a gold plated Merlin, and then you can go to his Merlin website where he has a fully functional Merlin that you can play online. Yep, it's called the electronicwizard.com and he's got a virtual Merlin there that you can play all the games using your mouse on yeah. the keypads and stuff. Pretty pretty cool. Yeah, and the games are like what Tic-Tac-Toe, Magic Squares, uh, I, I'm trying to think of the other games. Mindbender, Blackjack 13, Echo, yeah. which is similar to the game Simon, so you got Simon in your hand, palm of your hand, and Music Machine, where you can actually use your Merlin to compose a simple tune, and it'll play it back. And he demoed all these for us too. Oh yeah, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the six games that came with the original Merlin back then, that was phenomenal because you have to remember the electronic games that we were getting at the time was just a single game. Like, you know, Battlestar Galactica or the Auto Race Football. This featured six different games that you could choose from. And another nice feature of it was you could play single player. Like Tic-Tac-Toe, you could play against the computer. Or you could play against your friends. So you had the option there. 
And for the people who are like musically inclined or, or like that kind of stuff, you can make little tunes on here. Uh, you had the, the Echo game, like that was Simon. I loved Simon. I had one of those big ones when they first came out. But my first, you know, my first introduction to Simon was Echo on Parker Brothers on the uh, Merlin. Then I went after a Simon after that. Of course, Blackjack 13. Gambling game for kids, but hey. Uh, <laughs> hey, you got to learn it somewhere. You, you got to learn, learn it somewhere. Up in the streets, yeah, right. And of course, um, Magic yeah. Square, which is very similar to the game Lights Out. We try to get all the squares either all lit up or all extinguished. And then Mindbender was basically a mastermind game mm. where you try to guess the number that Merlin was thinking of, and it would give you audio clues, yeah. uh, audio and also visual clues with the LEDs behind those little touch right. pads. You know, I, I remember going over, somebody somebody back then when it first came out, somebody had one, and I always grabbed it, and I would sit there, and I don't even know if we were supposed to be visiting friends, or we were hanging, I don't know what we were doing, I didn't care. I was gone. I was just lost playing this thing, because this was pre-video game. And maybe the Atari was out. I think I think Pong was out. I think Pong, Pong was had, definitely out. Yeah, Pong was out. And, and so Cole was the twenty six hundred when Merlin and, when Merlin appeared. And, and the Coleco version, the Coleco version of of like the Telstar Pong was out. Um, Atari was pretty new. It wasn't yeah. like Invaders. It wasn't any arcade tie-ins or anything. Um, so it was pretty early, and not everybody had one. Those were expensive. So you're right. There was like the, the Mattel handhelds and the LEDs, the blips and whatever. And then this thing came out. And you could basically carry, for the size of a telephone, you could carry around and play six games. Yep. And it was, it was they were easy to learn. It was fun to play. And it was cool looking. Oh, I yeah. Wonder, I wonder how many grandparents picked it up and tried to place a phone call. Yeah. <laughs> well, it definitely was a very, very well uh popular toy it sold very well you know when we were talking about that award he got that was given to him by the toy manufacturers of america in 1980 and at that time 2.2 million merlins had been sold wow that is a lot of merlins yeah now yeah what's really nice is since there's so many of them made these are fairly easy to get get for a pretty decent price usually under 20 bucks which is really nice. I see these all the time when I'm out and about. I'll see Merlins at flea markets at some retro stores I go to every once in a while. I'll see a Merlin in there. Mm -hmm. The one I've got is complete in the box, which is awesome. That is awesome. And I still remember the graphic on the box. It was basically a close-up picture of Merlin with all the, what is it, like clouds and dots. Lightning, and there's like, it's like, light, like a, lightning and stuff, yeah. A blue yeah. glow around Merlin and stuff yes. like that. Yes, yeah. so it was very mysterious. It was very cool looking. They did a nice packaging job. Yeah. But yeah. I, I kind of wish that some of the other games that he made actually made because he had some very interesting ones that he wanted to put on this thing. Yeah, he's a genius. I mean, he yeah. just, it was like, wow. And you know, maybe he, maybe he can actually push some of these through now. I don't know. I don't well, know. If they're like like I suggested during the interview, I was like, it'd be kind of cool if he would update his Electronic Wizard website to include some of the other games that could have yeah. made it to Merlin for people to play on online. Yeah, which I think would be really cool. 
Well, we always, always like the touchscreen aspect of Merlin. We have the the light that lights up after you touch it. Always yeah. thought that was cool. Yeah, yeah, because you know it was it was tactile and it was rea- it was reacting to you. You know, yeah, there might have been a tires and stuff out like that, but you were holding a joystick. This, you were actually, it was more interactive, it seemed. What a great game. We should probably roll the interview. Yeah, we'll roll the interview right now. And what's your friend's name? RK. RK. RK? RK. Okay, very good. Uh, Are you just doing audio or do you want to be doing video? Uh, you can do video if you want. Uh, we'll do audio because it, it really loads up the stream for us when we do audio three. I mean, video three way. And I'm really ugly, so. And he's really ugly. <laughs> I'm sparing you. You decide whether to turn yourself on or not. But what I would like to do, uh, use you as a sort of guinea pig. I am building a studio that I called ITV Studio. Yeah. Oh. Uh, just. Are you recording your show, and should I go right into Merlin, or yeah. could you give me a minute? Uh, no, I wouldn't give you a minute to talk about you know your background and stuff like that. Yeah, happy to do that, because what I've done is uh, I've invented a lot of things in my life, but this thing I've invented right now is really spectacular. Let me give you a view of my studio. Whoa, 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 whoa look at that. All right. Seriously, this is as big a project as I've done in a while. I worked on this idea for four years with my grandson, uh, Carter, and I thought he might make it into a business, but he didn't. And so what I've done is use it as a tool to expand the way I talk to my people about my work in philosophy. Uh, Basically, for the last few years, uh, I've been writing books in philosophy, one on free will. Let me show you another view of my studio. Here you are looking above. Uh, Let me go to camera six and open it up. Camera six. Whoa. It's it's crazy. Okay, I don't know if you guys are technological, but this is Uh, my first book on free will, my second book on great problems in physics and philosophy, my third book on metaphysics, working on the fourth book on Albert Einstein. And this is going to be a real blockbuster in science. Most of these are about philosophy. Uh, my background is in physics as an undergraduate, astrophysics as a um, PhD at, at Harvard. My wife and I got the same degree. Huh. Result of getting the same degree was that she and I couldn't get a job in the same university because of <laughs> of rules. They said, hey, no, you can't hire a relative. Today, they always hire their spouse, whether it's the wife or the husband. Uh, let me give you another little look at something, things I can do. Um, what you'd like to know is what I've done with Merlin. So let's take a look at this. Oh, this wow. is green on the wall behind me. And um, because you guys said, hey, what's going on with Merlin? I remembered I have a website, which I haven't touched in a long time. I've been on that website. That's awesome. This website is called theelectronicwizard.com. And it's up here now. And what I can do is, you see this little Merlin here? You see the lights blinking? Yeah. Let's play (laughs) tic-tac-toe. Okay, it's computer's turn. Oh, he gave me a really uh, easy, good start. I'm going to go and take the center square. All right, it's computer turn. All right, well, I haven't got anything much going, uh, but let's see. If I go here, he's going to block me. 
Uh, let's do that. Computer turned. He blocks me. Uh, I don't really have any win opportunities here. You see, this is a draw. But I can do same game or new game and whatever. Wow. Okay, so I wrote this so that kids everywhere don't have to spend 20 bucks. <laughs> I've, I've, I've already sold five and a half million Merlins. Jeez. And made enough money, you guys, to do whatever the hell I wanted to do for the rest of my life. That's awesome. And what I've wanted to do with kind of Merlin as my foundation, I apply for grants to the Merlin Foundation. I've done a lot of really fun things and other things that have really been um, um, important to other people in the world. For example, I was the 11th certified developer for Apple Macintosh in Whoa. 1984. Whoa. And I wrote the first desktop publishing program. Whoa. A desktop publishing program, it was called Mac Publisher, lets me make these books, okay? Are you still using Mac Publisher, or, do, or, or did the money from Mac Publisher allow you to do those books? Uh, well, I sold Mac Publisher for uh, half a million dollars to a company <gasps> called Letterset that used to be in the press-down letter business for laying out newspapers, yeah. high school yeah. papers. And uh, so I did make a little money out of it, but basically today I use Adobe. Uh, you know, PageMaker came out a year after Mac Publisher. I used it for a while, and then uh, in recent years, uh, I just go to Adobe. Adobe, Adobe bought PageMaker from Aldus, and uh, then they dropped the PageMaker, and they have InDesign. Lovely tool. Yep. I can take. I I can sit at InDesign and write, and when I'm done with, I can put in illustrations. Let me see. I need to go to my camera six to have. Look a little bit into the book, and I can, for each camera, I can basically, basically pick different kind of views, right? So it's all auto-zooming. I don't have any tech people to help me. Uh, I'm the total engineer here, and in in, in everything that's going on is sort of under my control. So um, all these illustrations, all these kind of clever tabs that I put on the side so you know what chapter you're in, these are all techniques I've developed over the years. Uh, I... I write in a program on a web, on, on a page, and then it turns into a PDF. I send the PDF to Harvard Square, and there I have a print-on-demand capability in Harvard Bookstore. I give them the PDFs. They hand me back the book with a color cover for $10. Wow. They sell on Amazon for $30. Cool. But I don't need to make any money, guys, right? <laughs> So what I've done is I've taken these books and let me let me give you a look at this for a moment. I'm going to move the uh, Merlin page out of the way and show you my information philosopher page. Well, here's my metaphysicist page. Let me go directly to the screen for a moment. And I'd really like to go out to information philosopher, which is another website. Uh, here's my link. These are problems I've written up in my metaphysics book. This is my main website, the Information Philosopher, and this one has millions of people uh, watching it. Um, and let's see, I want to hit plus plus and make it a little bit bigger so you can see it. So over the last 20 years, well, 60 years, I've been reading philosophers. Down the left side, these guys are all pages on major philosophers, some really ancient, you know, the Greeks, and a lot of very oh. modern who are working on important problems. Here are my books mentioned over here. And the thing about the books is that if I now go to 
a link like this one, my book on problems, you guys can have it by just going to this web page right here <laughs> and scroll down. And what I've done is I've put all the chapters and each chapter is available. Here's a chapter, the introduction. I click on it and you get a PDF. You download oh. it have to pay any, anything for the book. So that's, that's where we're going. Wow. So that's, that's my major work. And I'm 81 right now. And I've got, uh, I hope, a few more years left. My dad was gone at my age. He died Oof. at 70. But I, need, I plan to spend the rest of my life just uh, writing books about big problems in physics and in philosophy, and some in biology and a little bit in psychology. And I hope to teach the world like I used to teach at Harvard, but instead of having 30 students in a classroom, I can be talking to you two right now, but I can be talking to 30, 50, 100,000 yeah. Day if I get my uh, online classes, uh, which I started two weeks ago using this studio. Um, so although you guys, you guys aren't on, 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 on video, I could turn on my uh, Facebook page right now, and we could be live on Facebook talking wow. about <laughs> um, my When I got my degree and Holly got a degree, we didn't want to take a job in two different universities and wind up, you know, flying to meet one another on the weekends. We had friends who were students like that and their marriages just went to in, in the, wherever. Um, so instead, I said, I'll start a company. And my first company uh, was I invented a synchronous sound uh, Super 8 movie camera and recorder. And the recorder recorded on magnetic tape with sprocket holes in it. And the result of that was that uh, I thought I would sell one of these every weekend. Um, I, it cost me $125 to buy a Sony tape recorder, same one that was used in the Nixon White House to record the famous tapes. And I, I modified the guidepost so it could run film with holes in it and magnetic coating. So I had a uh, a picture film in the camera and then a sound uh, film, sound magnetic film in the recorder. I thought I'd make, uh, sell them on the weekends for 500 bucks. They cost me 125 to build them. Instead, we sold 2,000 of them and the company became a million dollar company, which is still in California right now. And it has amazing clients, uh, George Lucas, uh, Steven Spielberg, um, Martin Scorsese, all the big Hollywood guys are very interested in consumer film. Uh, but what I learned about synchronizing circuits and everything and, um, and working with just uh, sound films, I realized I could use the little circuits I was making to play a game. In 1974, I wrote a letter to uh, 10 game, games companies, Parker Brothers, Milton Bradley, uh, Coleco, Mattel, and then to 10 electronics companies. I wrote a letter to uh, Intel, to National Semiconductor, um, all the famous companies that were making uh, computer chips. And I said, listen, guys, if you're in electronics, I could get you into electronic games. Or if you're in games, I can stop having games that are just plastic and cardboard, and they could be electronic games. And I said, I think it's going to be in a $100 million a year business. Turns out I was wrong. <laughs> it was a billion dollar a year business. <laughs> and uh, Parker Brothers had about a 20% share. Uh, they put out my game Codename Sector in 1977. Oh, yeah. In 1978, 
they put out Merlin. And uh, this guy really took off. In 1980, Merlin was the uh, largest selling SKU in toy and games. And so uh, the toy manufacturers of America uh, produced the equivalent of, of a platinum record, you know. Looks like this. Oh! Regular Merlin. And here is a Merlin. I don't know if you can read that. Yep. The number one toy and game item, or whatever it says. 1980. In 1980, yeah. Wow. <laughs> that is impressive. Yeah, that is cool. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm glad you guys are interested. And uh, Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I love Merlin. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, so you now know, um, probably you know, you can buy Merlins today for the same price they sold in 1980 on, on eBay. They're around $20, $25. Yeah. And because five and a half million of them, and they've been amazingly uh, solid, right? And little tiny cleaning off the battery contacts or a few other things. And they really still run after, what is it? Uh, let's see, 78, it's 40 years. Yeah. Yeah. How'd you come up with the uh, concept of the Merlin? Okay, good question. Um, when in 1974, I thought um, I could imagine a game in which you're playing against the computer. Now, we already had video games with Atari, Nolan Bushnell, and guys like that, Magnavox Odyssey, and that was an idea that you were doing something and, and pointing something at a TV screen. So I said, why couldn't that be handheld? Why couldn't I make a, an array of LEDs and put some buttons on the end and play a tennis game, okay, like Pong? So I set out to do that. And while I was at it, I, I built three other games. Uh, in one, uh, two of them were two-player games, like Pong or tennis. I called my game Micro Tennis. I've got that prototype in the cellar if you guys ever get to Boston. Uh, then I did two games in which you're just playing against the computer. Uh, and the, the idea was to tell people we can make games and they can be multiplayer or single player. So I, I made up these four wooden boxes with arrays of red LEDs. And I went around, I, I sent my letter, the one I told you about, and almost every company invited us to come talk. And I showed these to all these companies. Now it turns out some of them just stole our ideas. Oh. Uh, and that's the way I thought it might be. That's why I made four of them. And I wasn't sure that either, any one of those would be the one we'd actually get to sell someday. Uh, but uh, I had 25 or so ideas for different games at that time, already in 1974. Jeez. So um, I, Parker Brothers was close, which was great. And they were straight arrows. They were like old Yankees, you know, uh, <laughs> Parker the original guy is an old New Englander, and, uh, and uh, the family that owned it was here, and they were really nice guys. And they said, Bob, we see this as a good idea, but it might take us a long time. Would you work with us, and we'll see if we can get it out? Well, that was 74, and it took them until 1977 to do one game, by which time I had written over 150 different possible games, electronic <sighs> and gadgets of all kinds. Uh, and uh, one of them... Uh, Parker Playoffs, which I helped them to build in 1979, they spent $300,000 developing it. Jeez. It was a game with an LCD 
and it played tennis, basketball, hockey, and football. No, it didn't do tennis. Hockey, football, uh, baseball, and soccer on a, with a screen that had overlays so you could change the field and the lines on the field for football, <laughs> basketball. Uh, it was an amazing system and fantastic coding, computer coding. By the way, I didn't do all the coding. My wife is a fantastic mathematician and uh, terrific um, uh, at, at ideas as well. And her brother, her brother was an IBM engineer scientist and he came up from IBM in New York to work with us. Uh, and eventually we made so much money, he just moved up here. So he lived. <laughs> so, um, so, so I got started in 74, I think that's where you were asking. And my files still have really right now over 200 possible games, but I kind of walked away from the games in 1980 and uh, wanted to get back to my, my physics, my science and philosophy. Um, and I, I took one game uh, idea, which I will show you, that Parker never published, okay? Uh, and turned it into something else. Let's see. So, so imagine a game, it's, it's a handheld device. It's got a keyboard and it's got a little LCD screen. So let's take it down where you can see it more easily. Um, so this began life as uh, the idea was a spelling game or word games, a whole bunch of word games uh, like Scrabble or some various games involving words. So I imagine I would build this device and it, you would be able to say, play hangman, right? right. So we could put out a, a bunch of entries in and uh, uh, decide whether you'd been hanged or whatever. I've forgotten them, but there were lots and lots of word games that seemed possible to do with a single LCD display and a keyboard. Parker Brothers wasn't interested. And it, it suddenly occurred to me, um, Actually, I had an engineer working with me who was um, built the ARP synthesizer, which was a great electronic music, uh, Moog-style music uh, machine. He was a fantastic uh, sound engineer and also a computer guy. And he worked with me, and we realized, why don't we take this? He had helped me a little with my other games. And I said, what if we turn this into a computer terminal? What if we could have $99 and you could have a telephone jack, and I could go on and access services like CompuServe and the source. These were the early players on internet. It wasn't web yet. It was nowhere near the web, which came in 1995. We're talking uh, 1979, 80. And, and we did it. We turned this into uh, uh, a terminal, and there were already various terminal kind of things you could do, like pay your bills uh, seem possible, uh, make an airline reservation, uh, pay your, access your bank account, uh, a whole bunch of things. The most important of it, one for me though, was that at that time and even today, there are a couple of million hearing impaired people in the country who were using a teletype machine to, to talk to one another because they couldn't uh, hear what was going on. So they were totally outside the telephone communications world. And I thought, wow, if we could make this for $99, they could chat to one another. They could just oh. see what it's doing. Is that a great idea? Yeah. It's amazing. But I, I couldn't. Um, uh, anyway, Parker Brothers was not interested. So I went off. Let's see if I've got a little bit of that story here. 
This is Byte Magazine. Do you guys remember Byte Magazine? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let's see what I want to do. I want to do this. Imagine Byte Magazine gave us a cover story. Wow. Okay. I went out and I basically uh, proposed this idea to GTE, first I, IBM, yes, uh, AT&T. It was amazing the reaction I got from these guys. I mean, guys, these are giant companies, right? Yeah. And I'm this little game inventor, and they think, oh, who the hell is he? And, uh, but they, they, I got to talk to them. Uh, and GTE, uh, who, who was in Connecticut, said, you know, we like this idea. Uh, we'd like to buy a three-month exclusive uh, so that at the end of the three months, we get to take the rights to this, and you guys earn a royalty. Or, uh, or we'll give it up at that time. So I said, okay, that sounds good. And they offered me two hundred. Well, they, they offered me one hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars for three months. And uh, the president, I got the president, a fellow named Vanderslice or something like that. And um, his vice president, uh, after our meeting for about a half hour, they come out of the meeting, and. Uh, Bill Enders, you're helping me to remember some things I haven't thought about. <laughs> um, Bill says to me, well, Bob, uh, Vanderslice has said you can, uh, we'd offer you $150,000 for a three-month exclusive while we study it, don't sell it to anybody else. I said, okay. Later on after this, and it did fall apart, I must tell you, but afterwards he tells me, hey, Bob, I thought you were going to negotiate. Vanderslice offered, authorized $250,000. And I was just, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be working with somebody. Um, overall, in the next, um, in the, in, it, it fell apart with GTE. Um, uh, but during that uh, three months, GTE flies me to Europe to meet IT&T, who are their international tele telephone company partner, sort of. They're the European guys, and GTE was a big American, and of course AT&T was bigger than the two of them. So we go to um, uh, Holland, and uh, they offer us a, a royalty, and uh, we did a demo where this little terminal talked to my lab. In my lab here, where I am sitting now, we emulated uh, bill paying, airline reservations, and a whole bunch of things with a big computer emulation writing as if it's you're talking to it, and it's making all of those things happen. So that really went well, but they too didn't buy in. At the end of the three months, they were, they were both gone. And at that time, and talking about toy industry business, you'll remember Mattel football. Yep. The president of Mattel Electronics, which was split off from Mattel with a little electronics division, was started by a guy named Jeff Rockless. And Jeff Rockless started that company with one engineer, a secretary, and himself. And that engineer had seen my games with the little light, lights going and it was in their files, which turned out to be a big story later. Uh, I approached uh, Jeff Rockless. I met him at the Toy Fair every year and he and I, Parker Brothers and, and uh, Mattel were really big. Uh, Coleco came along and I showed Jeff Rockless this little guy. And I said, Jeff, don't you think this is going to change the world if all kinds of people could get services over this little thing and, you know, just type away and talk to one another and uh, look at all the possibilities? He said, I will leave Mattel if you'll give me a percentage. So I gave him 10% and he <laughs> left Mattel. 
<laughs> and we went out and we talked, went around to venture capitalists. And by the end of the project, which lasted about two or three years, we raised $13 million wow. to kind of create a thing that's a little like a pseudo int a baby internet, right? Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, but by eight, 1984, it was clear that, that Rockless, who knew how to build toys, he knew how to build foot Mattel football, he hired 65 people out of Mattel. Wow. And they spent all the ca venture capital money in a, in, in a matter of months, so within a year and a half, he was going back to the venture capitalists asking for more and more. And whereas uh, when we started, I personally owned 34% of the company and he had 3.4% or something like that. Uh, and the venture capitalists had the rest. Uh, by the end of it, I had only 1% and that totally went down to zero. So the whole thing was a giant loss of millions of dollars, I'm sorry to say. Mostly other people's. Uh, not not my own, but you know the, the uh, I, I did put like a million and a half of the money I'd made from uh, from the games into it, so I lost that. But it was a great lesson, a great sort of experience. And at the end of the day, we'd produce uh, six games that are out there in the world. You know, Master Merlin, Wildfire, uh, Stop Thief. Uh, do you know any of those games? That's oh, I, I had a. I had Codename Sector. I had a Stop Thief. I got a Wildfire Pinball here in the box still from back then. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A um, couple of things about that. Um, Master Merlin played nine more games. Yep. And you remember I had conceived uh, 150, 200 games. We have, let's see, six in Merlin, nine in Master Merlin. We have another... 25 to 30 games that play on that little 3x3 three three array. Oh, my gosh. Okay. And so, you know, now that you're interested, let me tell you a couple of interesting things. And you see those lights in the corner? Oh, look yeah. at that big old Merlin. It's a giant Merlin. Holy it's, cow. It's not a Mac. Is that an original Mac? Is it what? That looks like a Mac. An uh, old Macintosh next to the Merlin. Yeah, well, let me tell you why there's a Macintosh there. First, let me scroll over here. I'm just learning how to use this little control. It's kind of not, not too intuitive. Um, what I'm going to do here, there we go. It's got a disco ball. Well, I was going to say, Bob, what's the disco ball? <laughs> what's that? The disco ball. You have a disco ball. <laughs> That's for my granddaughter, Leah, who wants to have parties in here every now and then. Oh, well, why not? I'm getting happy because when I added all the Chauvet lights up there, those lights can go on, you know, uh, listen to the music. And, and play and beat and change the lights with the music. We haven't yeah. done that yet. Uh, it's really, a lot of what you see is just weeks old in some, some respects. Although the fundamental technology uh, of this switching thing, that's four years old in my work. I have a question about Merlin. Okay. And it's a, ba and it's a basic question. Um, is, it, is it a coincidence or not that it looks like a push-button phone? No. That's, um, I could show you my original prototype, which I have in the cellar here, which is just a rectangle with the button patterns in it. Mm -hmm. But Arthur Venditti uh, was the top game designer in-house at Parker Brothers in the 1970s. And a fellow named Sam Shelton. I haven't thought about Sam. That's terrific. You guys are bringing back <laughs> still memory cells in here working, you know. Oh, with, I, we can see that. <laughs> uh, 
the Sam had the vision that maybe it could look like a phone. Really? That, yeah. I, I know it made it a lot more user-friendly. I mean, you know, technology was so new, especially in the toy market back then, that um, everybody was familiar with a push-button phone. And the fact that Merlin didn't look foreign, it looked very friendly and familiar, I think helped a great deal. I think you're right. Yeah, absolutely. So that was not me. Um, and uh, it, uh, a couple of really good collaborations with people up there. They wanted it, you know, all to go well. It was a great team of people. Uh, the other companies that stole my ideas, like Mattel, uh, built their football based on an array of LEDs. Mm -hmm. So in the year after Mattel football came out, uh, Coleco introduced electronic quarterback. And they, they had a, an extra little feature in the game where they had a ball or they had players, you know, it was, it was a slight variation on the original Mattel football. So Mattel sued them because it wasn't different enough. Wow. And sued back and they said it was different. And it was a $20 million lawsuit, both guys trying to claim $20 wow. million for the guy. And I get a phone call one day and it's a, a lawyer. Now, there's my memory. Uh, Stanley something. Uh, he calls me up. He says, Bob, I'm so-and-so, and, -so and um, I'm at Coleco, and I'm looking at some papers and some notes that you visited us, and you showed us a game where a ball was going around an LED array. Do you remember anything about that, he says to me. <laughs> uh, sure, of course I, I do. And, uh, he said, do you have any contemporaneous notes? And I, it turns out, um, I'm looking around for my contemporaneous notes. I don't really see a good example. I Every single day, I write up one or two sheets of pad paper with all my ideas for that day. Wish I could do this, wish I could do that. And I have check boxes and everything. I, I don't have an example of them with me here. Um, and I said, sure, I have contemporaneous notes. And long story short, this lawyer basically says to me, I think my guys here saw your work and stole it. No kidding. You it to Mattel. <laughs> and I said, yes. So they, 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 I said, listen, I don't want anything to do with lawsuits. So many good friends of mine had great ideas, but then they'd have to go into court to defend them. The inventor of um, Simon for Milton Bradley um, is uh, a, a, an inventor, I think he recently died, named Ralph Baer. Ralph there, yes. Ralph did the original um, Magnavox Odyssey video game, yep. mm -hmm. uh, which then Nolan Bushnell at Atari did a much better job, and the, the Magnavox deal was a, a great uh, loss, but it didn't really happen. Uh, the vice president at Magnavox, who uh, got that deal, uh, had been working... No, I'm, I'm not sure I got the story straight, but... Um, the, the Ralph Bear took that idea to others, and Bill Enders was, I think, in AT&T at the time and refused the idea of getting into electronic games. He then became, years later, a vice president at GTE, and he's the one who shepherded my ideas through GTE. He says, I'm not going to miss this twice. You, Bob, are doing something just as big as the video game. These are electronic handheld uh, telephone. He, he was the one who helped me with the, uh, what we call the telecomputer. Anyway, Ralph spent half his life in the courts defending oh. the patent 
that um, his company right up in New Hampshire, um, Sanders Associates, Sanders Associates owned the patent and they went to fight against Nolan Bushnell and Atari and it took them years uh, and uh, any, anyone else who tried to do a video game had to fight against that uh, Sanders Associate patent and they made a ton of money for Sanders. Me, I never would fight anybody over a patent. Um, so, but, but, but Mattel uh, had to defend itself and they, uh, the, they, they, what do you call it, subpoenaed my, my game prototypes. <laughs> they, they went into federal court in New York and they got these little stickers of six, whatever district or whatever. And uh, the judge threw it out and said, uh, uh, Mattel can't sue Coleco because they stole the game, uh, electronic game idea from Bob Doyle. <laughs> oh. And the Coleco oh. I I would have made you more money if I went took it into court and sued these guys, who, including his own company. <laughs> By that time, years had gone by, so we were beyond the statute of limitations. And I said, I don't want anything to do with lawyers anyway, thanks. Wow. Uh, wow, yeah. How did you come up with deciding what six games to put on the Merlin? Uh, well, the best one didn't get in it. And it didn't even get in Merlin 2, the Master Merlin. Let's see if I got a Master Merlin here somewhere. Um, how do we decide on the six? Yeah. There were two things. Let's see if I've got a Master Merlin. Um, the, the two things were choose from among the, I've forgotten, we had, we had ideas for many. And uh, we prototyped other ones. Um, if you look at the, here, here's my, uh, let me just show you. Here's Master Merlin. Oh, yeah, I got one of those. Basically has the same layout. But now I'm going to show you a game that only made it into Merlin uh, because of the plastic. And it doesn't actually play this game. So in order to show you this one, I need to go here, and then I need to go maybe here. Isn't this great? Oh, yeah. <laughs> It's like playing a game, guys. I'm really to fiddle around. So this game can come on. And we got the six games, tic-tac-toe and so forth. Yeah. When the light is on on the top, it says pick a game. So in Master Merlin, when the light goes on at the top, you can pick nine games. Um, notice that the pattern of buttons is all just smooth around the yeah. blue plot. But Merlin has got these four diagonal lines. You yeah. see them? In, in the plastic. That's because they were choosing from, well, I'd guess, maybe 12, 13 games were being considered for which six would go in. So the first thing, I suppose, from Parker's point of view, is which ones are the most fun, which ones are the... And we, they did spend a ton of money on focus tests and um, people playing all the variation games on my prototype. And my prototype had these um, diagonal lines in them because of a game called Stoplight. Stoplight um, was one of the original four games that we prototyped uh, in 1974. And it played with a set of lights. Uh, and the goal, it, it was a variation on a game sometimes known as Fox and Hounds. Yeah. You can, you can play it with pieces. And basically the idea is uh, that uh, this the one light, which is the fox, or we, we had the light was a character in the game, and then you as a player had three lights, and your idea was to trap 
trap him and stop him somewhere and stop him from coming down to the other and working way past you. And the, 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 the removes, I'm not a little, not remembering terribly well the moves. The moves were, allowed moves were like going like this and you could go like this, which was what that dash indicated there. So the, the light coming down against you uh, could, for example, if you were, if you were here, here and here, say, here and here, he could, he, oops, he could come through you on that path. Um, that's about as much as I remember about oh, wow. stop uh, But it was a terrific game. And um, to show you the kind of crazy thoughts we came up with in those days, I feel like I should go down and get the prototype. Um, the game was played with magnetic reed switches. You know what they are? They yep. close when the magnet is nearby. Yep, so yep. what I did was I put 11 magnetic reed switches underneath uh, the plastic and then an LED next to them. And then you, uh, as a, the human player, had uh, three, uh, three little cubes of wood, inside of which was a heavy magnet. So I had three little cubes of wood. And when you started the game, uh, the light we're trying to stop from going through would be up at the top. And the circuit was made out of like a thousand um, diodes. And those were all um, measuring the state of the, of the positions of the magnetic blocks. Three little mag cube magnetic magnets in wooden cubes. And they were closing switches. So if you think about it, it, it wasn't a computer at all. It was what we call a state machine. And the state machine is saying, the light is at, say, say the light is here. And the three pieces of wood are here, here, and here we would then press a button to ask the light to move. And when it, what it did was, based on what magnet positions it detected here and here and here and where the light was at the moment. It was a conceptually really extraordinary game because yeah. I had, it looked like a feeling of intelligence on the part of the light, but the light was just reading where the guys are and had a pre-programmed move. There was no randomness in it at all. Oh, wow. But the back of the game looked like a huge array of LEDs. It was called a logic array. And based on the state of the magnets, it would decide uh, what it's going to do next. Oh, wow. That's really cool. Yeah. And that game was cut. That was cut. Oh, and the best game of all was cut. And it isn't even out yet. It's still in my original prototype. <gasps> what it was was... Um, uh, the inspiration, I'm trying to remember the name. Um, if, you, if you want to do an interview another time, I'll get my prototype up and we'll play that game. Basically, um, right away, Holly, my wife, realized that the 3x3 three three could be quickly turned into, um, that you if you touched a button, you're on now in another array. Think about this one as suddenly got, it's got its own 3x3. Three Okay. So you could uh, navigate, you know, jump through space-time or something and go into this quadrant, right? Yeah. And when you hit that one, you'd, you'd now be playing it on this one, but you know you're over there. Mm. So there were a whole lot of places for things to be. And what she imagined the things were were uh, treasures, okay, dragons, uh, a sword, uh, a magic goblet like uh, the Holy Grail. 
and the game was all themed to be um, uh, like uh, the, the, the underground search games that they had in early computer days. Oh, and adventure. You, you, what, what's the name? Adventure. It wasn't exactly. It was a kind of adventure, but uh, thematically and visually, it was nothing but <laughs> nine LEDs. On the other hand, uh, we animated. I animated a thing so that when you got to the uh, the sword, uh, it looked like a sword. The lights would light oh. up. And you'd, oh, geez, thing. Wow. you'd hear this da 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 da, or well, the, the the sword theme from Val uh, from uh, the Rainbow. Oh, the you know, the flight of the Valkyries. Yeah. Yeah. Or Richard Wagner. Right. And he, and so we had these, I don't know, maybe 10 or 12 objects, all of which were beautiful. There was a crown and there was a goblet and there's a, a dragon. And they all, they all had some sort of um, animated look on these incredible tiny 11 pixel <laughs> screen. And it, it animated out these things and it played music. So we had lights and music and you're searching for these treasures, and you have to get all the treasures before the dragon comes and gets you. And what the dragon was is every time you moved, you could hear the sound of this dragon and <laughs> figure out where he was. That became the basis of my Stop Thief game that we had uh, imagined, uh, you know, things in place, uh, the detectives yeah. and the thieves. Thing. So um, that one, Holly always thought it was the very best game we ever did. Well, you know, as you're explaining this, and, you know, Adventure to this day on the 2600 from all those years ago is still one of the most popular games. And sure. the graphics were very, very basic and blocky. And as your fingers were going over the buttons, I was totally, just like playing Adventure with its lack of graphics, when you were describing that, I could visualize the LEDs and I got the feeling. I mean, imagine having that whole type of experience in the palm of your hand and those LEDs lighting up I mean my imagination was gone I was running through the labyrinth I was looking that was amazing um, any chance of that coming out uh, two or three times uh, since I've thought maybe I should take some time and try to get others of our games out there I don't need to do it at this point uh, will no you I need to do it for me Bob I need to play that game <laughs> okay so Twice, maybe three times, I've tried to find another person who would do it, and I would help them do it. Um, uh, one was a guy who used to be a marketing guy at uh, Parker Brothers who called me up and said, why don't we bring back Merlin? Unfortunately, we worked on it a while, and it never really worked out. He didn't think he could get a license from the current owner, who is Hasbro. Oh. There was an argument that you know, you know, basically Hasbro was the only game company that didn't go into electronic games. My dad used to play golf with the owner, uh, one of the sons, uh, Hassenfeld Brothers. Uh, but they, they stayed out of it, and, you know, it went off like a rocket, you know. It went off, oh, yeah. it was amazing, and, but when it went down, it went down <laughs> like a rocket. It went down as fast as it went up, yeah. <laughs> Most companies can grow like crazy, just hire more people, but to try to close it down and keep it going, you can't do it. They, they collapsed and they got bought out by Hasbro. So except for Mattel, uh, you know, Mattel and Hasbro are the real giants uh, that remain. Uh, in any case, there were a couple of other cases. Uh, I don't remember the details, uh, but we never got anywhere. But it's possible that in the near future, uh, we'll, we'll bring back Merlin. And if it happens, uh, it'll be a guy who has brought back Stop Thief. 
Uh, do you know that Stop Thief came out as a, 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 a beautiful board game by a beautiful design team and a game, an app on, on uh, the iPhone and the... Yes. Uh, yeah. So that guy, uh, whose name will come to me in a moment, I hope. Let me bring this guy over here. Here's, here's a um, brochure from 1979, Parker Brothers. And here's my Stop Thief. Oh, yeah. Here's Wildfire Pinball. Uh, you guys are just interested in the little details. Um, Wildfire has a, a wonderful uh, thing I'm going to get awful distracted, but you know what? Have you played this one? Oh, yeah, I've got that one. Yeah, Willie has it. Okay. Uh, Wildfire has um, uh, 77, I think, LEDs all over the place. That's uh, when when Merlin uh, sold five and a half million Merlins, Parker Brothers and me indirectly was one of the 10 largest LED uh, users, optoelectronics from Texto, Texas Instruments in the world. We sold 55 million LEDs. You can imagine that TI used to call me, TI would send me every month a care package of their latest new LEDs, colors, shapes. <laughs> but they said, Bob, if you'll do anything with our LEDs again, we'll be so happy. So they, I, I have a seller drawers of, of various uh, prototype LED things. But with Wildfire, I realized that uh, one of the most popular things in, uh, in uh, electronics was the so-called seven-segment display. Yeah. You remember right there, right? I'm, can you see it? Yep, I uh, see it. That one. Mm-hmm. It occurred to me uh, you could buy these things and uh, a computer chip could drive as much as 11 of these uh, digits in a calculator. Uh, right from the beginning, it was the calculator that was my idea for the smarts that would go into the games. So, and they were they were four bit computers. They were they were, it was called a, not a byte computer but a nibble computer. So four bits, and if you could have eleven of these, I suddenly realized, wait a minute, that's seventy seven LEDs. What would I do with it if I could put tiny li- each segment of the number? If I could put it in a different place, suppose I could put it, you know, one here and make it two of them and it would act like a little bumper, uh, a flipper going back and forth. Uh, This one, I could blink it or I could turn it on and I could suddenly start to think maybe I could make it feel as if a ball is following around on those limited paths in the in the uh, in the LEDs. So that's just nothing but a long 11 digit seven segment. LED display turned into a an array where we the feeling of motion on it. So that was pure idea uh, behind it <laughs> to stimulate uh, pinball. Oh wow! I've got my little wildfire right here. I don't know if he can show up in the lights. Oh yeah. There he goes. SP two. That's something like players two. Can't remember now. Uh, let's see, I'm good. These are the flippers. Oh, I see. Players one. Speed yep, two, yeah. How to play this game. Speed, player one, speed two. Speed two, yep. And player one. So, how do I get out of this? Maybe I can just. <laughs> uh, I, I, I bought 
two pinball machines. One was a Williams, both Williams type machines. I bought King Tut, which was a pretty popular one. Oh, yeah. And, and I bought Fireball. Oh, yeah. And I have it in my cellar today. <laughs> oh. So, RK, you come in sometime, we go in my cellar, and you'll see. Yes, we're, we're going to play pinball. <laughs> you can play pinball. And all of the graphics were just stolen from Fireball. Yeah. Right? Yep. It's all fire. But underneath it, it's got this terrific, I wrote, a, I wrote about a 30-page paper on pinball, on the game, and what, what, what are the essence of the game, like, uh, you know, hitting a bumper so as to, hitting one of these so it'll light up, and then it gives you double the points or whatever. All the, the scoring and everything is all built into this game. Um, and um, so there were rollover lanes, and the rollover lane would light the bumper. That was what it was. Um, so I'm trying to remember so many things. There were kicker. There were lanes, a drain. You know, a drain where you could it would go out out the drain. Yep. But if you turn the kicker on somewhere, free ball gate. Uh, you turn the kicker on, so you make the ball go up here, bang off, hit that one, and then the kicker would come on, so that when the ball went out, instead of draining, it would go back on the field and so forth. Huge amount of thinking went into this guy. And I, as I say, I wrote a, like a little master's thesis in pinball. <laughs> and, to, uh, and so as to, if we could get all the elements in, and then you're looking here at the one element that there's no way we've got an, an emulation, a simulation that it knows anything about physics. So what the hell is a tilt? And I think I had a nice talk with Arthur Venditti, that guy back at Parker, who was just a wonderful fellow to work with. And we said, well... Let's say you can't just do this crazy. If you, if you click and there's no ball near that flipper when you're doing it, it's like you've done something you know you shouldn't be doing. And that'll count towards tilting the game. Oh. And then the ball will just drain out. Wow. Yeah. That's, actually, that's actually very clever. It is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know... <laughs> Well, I spent an awful lot of my brain power in kind of imagining things that turned out to be very nice and fun for people. And I've always, you know, appreciated the chance to build things that are just toys for people. Bob, but, can, I, can I ask you something? Yeah. Um, so you're a physicist. Uh, yeah. Okay. And you design games. So yeah. what came first, your interest in games and strategies, which led to an interest in physics, or vice versa? Vice versa. Basically, uh, it was more, um, I'm also what I used to call uh, a futurist. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I, I believe there are what uh, philosophers call alternate, or metaphysicists. I'm also a metaphysicist now. I have a website called metaphysicist.com. That's me. Mm -hmm. I also have a called information philosopher that's me i don't think philosophy should be done with words and arguments and logical this and logical that it has to be done by thinking about what's happening in the world what's happening you know when two atoms get together to make a molecule that was my thesis at uh, getting a phd in quantum physics um and i'm wandering <laughs> off awfully fast here uh, to see the thing that led me um to uh, do games was much more practical. Uh, I'd, I'd built tools. I have this line about myself that I'm like kind of a, a variation on Karl Marx. I don't want to put the means of production in the hands of the people by nationalizing it, which just blows the hell out of it. Governments don't know what they're doing this way or that way. But by 
by taking low-cost things, uh, consumer things like consumer cameras, and making them a tool for someone who wants to communicate. So I have a website called DTV, Desktop Video, like Desktop Publishing, DTVGroup.com. And there you'll see I've been building tools ever since I did that first filmmaking thing, mostly to help people be more productive and communicative. Um, and so I always studied technology and tried to guess where it was going a few years from now. Uh, and that's the kind of futuristic uh, position I've always thought of I'm in. And I borrow a line, I think, from Alan Kay, who worked... Uh, did he work at uh, Atari a while? I think so. He was certainly at... Um, Xerox Park and involved in the idea of a screen like this computer screen up here and a mouse and all of that. Uh, he said the best way to predict the future is to invent it. Yes. And, and so I've always had this sort of sense. Can I imagine things, the way things could be? And I've imagined them and, and then I say, could I help bring that about? And if I can help, I'd maybe go do it. I may, I like to try to find someone that I could do it with or get them to do it. Uh, although, although there are some things that I'd rather, I will do that myself. Those are really great enough. I think I might have the ability to talk a few other people. You know, I totally self-financed Super 8 Sound. I, I was just making a little bit of a salary working with NASA and Harvard. Um, I helped put together a program for the Skylab astronauts to work collaboratively with 200 observatories around the world, because when the uh, when the Skylab's going around nine, every 90 minutes, the Earth is slowly turning, and there's only part of the Earth that can see the Sun. And so um, the Skylab astronauts want people to be collecting uh, white light images of the Sun while they're up there getting x-ray images and they're getting the corona and fantastic uh, other uh, uh, flares and so forth that they can study, but they don't want to have a regular camera just looking at the sun in white light. So I got 200 observatories to um, listen to signals that I sent out every hour over the time stations like WWV. It would say, the astronauts are pointing at this sunspot at this time, or the astronauts are in a program, we called it a joint observing program, we're looking at the corona. We've got a disk over the sun and we're looking at the um, big flares coming off the surface. And so I wrote the little thing that allowed uh, these observatories around the world to know what the astronauts were doing and aim their telescopes on, say, the you know on the white side of the Earth when we're the light side and the dark side. We had on the light side somebody looking at exactly the same thing the astronauts were looking, and then when the data came back, it got all put together, called synoptic. Look at all the aspects of what we're seeing. So I ran that program for a year. Not sure how I got onto that, but I wasn't making money. Uh, <laughs> It was enough to live on, and uh, I, I basically um, had a student that I wanted to have. He wanted to make a film and instead of write a paper for an astronomy class. <laughs> and so I worked with him, and I got his tape recorder, and we synchronized it with a camera. And I, I made the circuit board uh, for that uh, recorder in my oven, in my kitchen. <laughs> I learned how to etch uh, circuit boards and put traces on there and put a half a dozen little chips on to produce the logic, do the logic. Uh, and then I kept watching that. At that time of the Super 8 sound, it was 1973, and I remember this number very well, a four-bit calculator chip 
cost seventeen dollars. Wow! Yeah. But it was going down. It was going down by Moore's law, and so I said, "Hey, let's. How many years before it gets to be a couple of dollars? Because then it could go in a game." I said, "Oh, around seventy-seven. We're going to five or six years from now. We're going to have." Uh, cheap enough chips to be inside something that sells for 20 or $30. So that's me being a futurist, right? Wow. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever thought about uh, updating your your uh, your Merlin, Merlin website to have some of the games that you wanted to release on, it, on there? Uh, well, what are you asking? That's very interesting. I... Um, uh, the, I haven't touched that website. I wrote with my son Derek um, uh, the uh, the Merlin emulation, which is free on the Electronic Wizard, um, and and I wrote uh, a Merlin app for the iPhone. You know, what? I never did anything with it. I didn't feel like I wanted to try to promote it or sell it because I was very busy with my philosophy. So I have this app. So uh, let me come back then to this fellow named what? Justin, maybe? Justin Jacobson. The, about a year ago, I get a phone call from a fellow in Florida from, from Restoration Games. And let's see. I guess I need to go back here. And he has done this beautiful job. This is Restoration Games. And he says, hey, Bob, um, we are we are restoring old games right in the area of you guys interested with your yeah. uh, work and uh, he says he thinks he and a friend who used to work at Hasbro have got enough contact inside Hasbro to get them to allow us to use Stop Thief if he says if you will allow it he wants me to write a letter to him saying. I'm going to let him uh, have the, all the ideas for Stop Thief. So I thought, okay, just as you say, what, what are we doing to kind of keep these things alive and, and maybe even do more? And uh, he said, he thought I might want some money for that if we could make it happen. I said, no, no, fine. I'll just be happy. I always loved Stop Thief because it, it, once again, it was a really wild, come pops out of nowhere idea in my head. Maybe we just play a game with sounds. I programmed all those sounds myself on a oh, little wow. microcomputer. Shattering glass was the most difficult, convincing sound. <laughs> a lot of high frequency, this and that. And it's all done with digital waveforms. Anyway, uh, Justin, I'm, I'm afraid I may not be remembering this name of a guy I just worked with a year ago. I apologize for that. But he, he uh, I said, so no, no, I, I'm very happy. Uh, just to have him come back and be around. You can still buy the games all the time, but... Um, sure, I will let you have it. I'll just say it's yours and no problem. Um, and if you can get it from Hasbro. And they did. And they, awesome. they then put in the most beautiful work. Um, I don't know if you've seen one of these yet. But the artwork is way better than, again, it's Arthur Venditti and his team at Parker who did the original Stop Thief. Uh, let me see what am I going to get a Get to my overhead camera, and let's see if I can really wow. this guy up. Uh, where do I want to go? Maybe here. Okay, let's. This is kind of awkward here. Let's see if I can 
go in a little bit more. It's it's more or less like the original board in many ways because it has to have the four buildings. It has to have the subway around the outside. It has to have a place for sounds, which are the sounds of of the thief uh, running down the street sound, and there's a um, a sound of, of the well, there's the the alarm sound, of course, when the part of the building uh, where the crime is committed, and then there's um, squeaking floorboard sound when he moves from one place to another on the floor. There's the uh, breaking glass when he goes out a window, and there are um, doors opening, and so so just imagine we're just creating in your memory a list of uh, sounds that correspond to where he is on the board. Uh, I've got to see if I can zoom in on one really cool thing. Um, let's see. Six. Let's try this one. Whoa. This is fun. It's like flying around in space. <laughs> what I'm, I'm going to show you is, I think I'm going to show you. Do you see that thing on the wall there? Yes. Yeah. Oh, it's it says a, Merlin. Merlin. It's a Merlin, right? Yeah. The name of this building here in the game. Dr. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh, they really surprised me with that. And there's a lot of little kind of, um, what do you call them? Uh, I can't remember the name, uh, for things that are going on in, in the board. Little details. Little Easter eggs. Yeah. That's the word I'm looking for. The Easter, Easter egg. Love putting in Easter eggs, yeah. Yeah. So that's a beautiful piece of work. So There really is I, something. I haven't spoken to this Justin, if that's his name, um, for a few months. This game just came out about two months ago at the big show. There's a big show in Indianapolis, maybe, once a year called Games. Do you know about that? Uh, I think I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah, it has some sort of games name. It's the biggest games and toy show, and it has thousands of exhibitors and everything, so they took an exhibit there. At any rate, I said to... Again, apology, uh, Mr. Jacobson, I think. Um, he sent the other guy to come to my lab, um, and his name is, he did a signature right here. Um, oh, yeah, here it is. Restored by Rob Davio. So Rob Davio was on the corner of the box, and they put my name, Dr. Robert Doyle, on the other side of the box. Davio came here, and he brought these games and the reason he brought these, he brought, he gave me, a, um, they wanted to give me a few dozen of them. I said, no, fine, I'm, I've got a half a dozen. If people need them sometime, I'll get some more. Here's my name and here's Rob Davio. And then we took a marker and I signed my name. He signed his name. And he had, they had a Kickstarter program. And they had people who put in a lot of money and then bought the game. And some of them paid hundreds of dollars extra if they could get an autographed copy. And so <laughs> I sat here, we opened up boxes of six in box games in each one, and we signed a whole bunch of them so they could take them back and give them to people who helped the Kickstarter program uh, and, and be part of you know, bringing the game back. So that, that was really nice. And these are nice guys. And I have just had this uh, idea, which I mentioned to them, that if they want to bring out Merlin again, I've already written an app, but we could get a more pro app done of Merlin on the on the uh, iPhone and, and Android. I said, I will come show you, and you can uh, we can program. I've already programmed for for another computer all of the Merlin games. The first six, 
the next nine, and then the 25 more. Uh, and they be in the system, right? And I said, feeling a little like maybe if I do this, I should be part of it. I will finance the cost of the whole thing if you'll give me a small percentage. What do you think of that? Does that sound good? Wow. I think it sounds good. I think yeah, it sounds, sounds great. You know, more than fair. Yeah, I, I am ready because I've got enough money. Um, instead of him having a Kickstarter program, I would pay for the entire development, and then we'd need a whole bunch of people programming somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 or 40 Merlin games, including that adventure with the sound effects and the music and everything. I, I know it was a wonderful game. I, you know, We'll see if we can actually make it happen. That's awesome. Well, before we, we end the interview, uh, one of the things we like to ask people is, do you remember a favorite toy you had growing up? A favorite toy? Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I just did. I'm in, going to be in a movie next year on on free will, and they asked me a lot of questions there. Sometimes it, the god, the filmmaker, sent me sixteen questions, and I get a chance to think about them. Uh, I don't remember any particular toy. I, I really am not much of a game player. I'm a, a game designer, but I don't play games very much. I used to play bridge in graduate school uh, and cards a bit, but. No particular games. I play tennis, but it's not uh, games for games like you guys. Cool. Well, well, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today about Merlin and some of the other projects you've been doing. Uh, we're definitely going to try to make a visit up there sometime and maybe see the prototype and some other cool stuff and do another video. Yeah, I, it seems like a good idea that at some point I should try to document it. And now that I have tools to put it on the web, yeah. I can come out there somewhere so for someone else. But right now I'm focused on information philosopher. Yes. This is Stop Thief, a computerized cops and robbers game where an electronic crime scanner gives you clues door. to catch an invisible thief. A broken window. Footsteps. In Stop Thief, when you think you know where the thief is, make the arrest. Here come the cops. I think you got him. Nine volt battery not included. Stop Thief, an electronic cops and robbers game from Parker Brothers. It's Wildfire, an electronic pinball game that's pinball fun for most everyone. Hey, beat that score. Wildfire's three-speed ball of light. Speed it up. Bumps off bumpers, flips off flippers. Flip too fast, you might lose it. Tilt. Wildfire keeps score for up to four players. Six pen light batteries not included. Wildfire. It's pinball fun for most everyone. Bonus points. Wildfire from Parker Brothers. All righty. So if you want to actually see Bob talking, you'll have the link so you can actually watch that. That interview, he's oh, very yeah. he's very fun to watch. So, anything before we go? Well, no, I think we pretty much hit all the all the uh, bullet points. I think we might be one of the few podcasts that are actually putting out an episode between Christmas and New Year's. I think everybody took the time off. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> and I don't want to give everybody, like, a plug. I mean, I, I did listen to, um, you know, some other podcasts right before Christmas, and they said they were taking a break, but they're always fun to listen to. I 
I listened to um, the holiday special with Ferg and Yoko, and that was fun. Um, I highly recommend that. You know what? I should I should be telling this to Ferg, but he should have Sauron more often. <laughs> have you listened to the? If anybody yeah. out there listen to this, she's got such a calm voice. She has such yeah. a nice, calm, soothing voice, and she's very, you know. Um, Ferg gets excited and he laughs and so on. And she's very calm and she's very soothing and she just kind of like keeps her cool. And I think he should do a few more with her. Yeah, certainly, certainly do the holiday one every year because uh, um, that was a good one. But like I said, I should be putting this into an audio submission and sending it to Ferg. Yeah, they Ferg, you should. Yeah. Let me know if you're listening so I don't have to send you an audio submission. <laughs> I don't oh, even know, my gosh. I don't even know if he listens to this, but anyway. I think he listens to it. <clears throat> so, that was our episode for Merlin and the Turbo Beam Car and all that other good stuff. What so, are we talking about next time? I don't know. We have to think about that one. <laughs> I caught you by surprise. I have no one. idea. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it next time. I have to think about it. Okay. Well, I'll probably be talking about the uh, Halcyon model of Alien. Oh, that'd be cool. I'll be talking about that, and I'll probably have pictures and um, video on YouTube and Facebook. And if anybody out there is listening to these podcasts, please go to the Facebook page, and there's more content there and video and pictures. And certainly uh, check out the videos at Arcade USA. Willie puts up a lot of his videos for his other video game podcasts, and he's been posting the Toy Tune podcasts. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, I have to tell you, Willie, we've been watching them and, you know, we get YouTube on, the, on our TV, you know, on a flat screen. <laughs> so I have to say how weird it has gotten around here, especially Christmas Day when, you know, I was telling people here, you know, oh yeah, I gotta, you know, I gotta do this video and everything like that. And by three o'clock I said, Hey, anybody want to see Christmas morning on the TV? And there it was on YouTube. Me talking like I just rolled out of bed, which I just had, and it was very surreal, you know. But um, we were, we did watch. I think um, it was maybe a night or two after Christmas. We were watching some of your old videos, um, and and you could actually see the evolution of your of your videos. And uh, I didn't know they went as far back as eight years ago. Yeah, and you didn't even talk. No, nope. you weren't even on screen. It was nope. just like. Here's the thing, and I'm going to operate the thing. There's the thing's operated. Tape out, and <laughs> all it was like I'm like he, he's, and sometimes he would talk, sometimes he wouldn't. Never see him, but it was just like I'm like wow. I wonder when the transition happened where you started talking and showing up on screen, you know, from just. Uh, you know, seeing your hand, actually, that's the way I started doing my videos. Just the object, my yeah. voice, and my hand. And you got me Christmas morning to get my puss on there. And I'm sure I'm, sure I'm going to regret that. I'm sure people are going to regret that. It took me a while. I finally got you. I really got you to get on screen. Oh, God, yeah. And, and right out of bed, too. Awesome. I, I mean, I had, I think I might have had a cup of coffee. And then I turned on the camera. And I think that was... <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I like I said, I bedhead, and, you know, my hair's like horrible, and 
I saw the video and I was really embarrassed. So I apologize to everybody. Ah, it was okay. I promise I'll be cleaned up next time. <laughs> so until next time, everyone, make sure you keep enjoying those retro toys. Yes. Thanks for listening to us. Thanks for listening to the show. The Toy Tune Podcast is a proud member of the Retro Junkies Network and also the Throwback Network. Special thanks to Paul Nermanen of the Intellivisionaries for the theme song for the Toy Tune. Please tune in next time for more Retro Toy Talk. <laughs>